This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside looking in. Welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey. I'm Karen Moynihan. And this week... It technically happened last week, but we're calling it The Arrest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the saga continues. It's all still very exciting. Um, I feel like we were uh, extremely giddy <laughs> in our last episode. Oh we were God. so excited to see Margot and catch up with that mad bitch. So I can't wait to get stuck into it again now. <laughs> Same, but we will warn you that there are some scenes in this book that are surprisingly dark and I mean properly mm. dark not just like cartoonish Marco telling a child to stick a knife in a toaster dark like we're, we'll skim over them but we we will give you a little warning because uh, it, it, I did not expect to be upset by scenes in a Sweet Valley book apart from just upset at the general ridiculousness mm. uh, or uh, unconvincing behaviour or terrible behaviour on the part of the boys but every so often there is there is a book that has something genuinely upsetting in it and I did not think this would be one of them but it is so just uh, just brace yourselves for mm. that listeners and we will of course give you a heads up for those uh, those scenes those it's scenes. basically yeah. referrals to refer- uh, physical abuse of children hmm. so uh we brought the mood down <laughs> what an opener <laughs> let's dive in with taglines and blurbs and of course whenever we just have tagline on the back hmm. karen can you share please i would be delighted to <laughs> this one is will elizabeth ever regain her self-respect Sadly, yes. I oh well look, I know. It's kind of a weird one though. Like it feels like her self-respect is kind of the least of her worries right now. <laughs> like she's been arrested. So I mean you know, the whole self-respect thing is seems more fitting to like the stolen diary or one of those kind yes. of storylines. It's like there's kind of a big picture going on here, lads. This isn't just kind of ooh, high school drama. It's like, no, nah, this is a lot more serious than that seems to make out, I feel like. I can't believe they didn't go for like, will Elizabeth go to prison or I something mean, like that? Like, right. That's actually more realistic for this book. <laughs> yeah. Is Elizabeth going to trial? Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> there is your drama. Yeah. <laughs> well, the full blurb is uh, kind of spoilery, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, not as bad as the last one where it was describing things that literally happened in the last 10 pages. But, you know, spoilery enough. Anyway. Elizabeth Wakefield has been arrested. Yeah, so why is this book called The Arrest? (laughs) We're working off a delay for some reason with these titles. I don't know what's happening. We really are. Um, Anyway, she has been arrested. And your twin, Jessica, has finally stolen Elizabeth's boyfriend, Todd. Well, he's easily stolen. Oh, look. (laughs) The twins have drifted further apart than ever before. Is there any hope of reunion now? Not in this book. <laughs> Nicholas Morrow agrees to appear on the hot new dating show, Hugs. <laughs> <laughs> After two ridiculous dates, you're telling us, <sighs> Nicholas is ready to give up on the idea of true love forever. But he still has one more date to go. Lila's Fowler, Lila Fowler's mother has returned to Sweet Valley just when her daughter needs her the most. But can she, how could she explain why she abandoned Lila? 
doesn't really try in this book. <laughs> Can Lila learn to love the woman who left you all those years ago? And Margot continues <laughs> towards Sweet Valley, leaving a wake of destruction. That's kind of oddly phrased. You think they'd say leaving destruction in her wake? Hmm. But uh, I guess is that correct? I don't even know. Wake of destruction. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you know what she means. Anyway, we're finally told. Book two in this explosive six-part miniseries. Sweet Valley will never be the same. <laughs> well, the books sure won't. <laughs> and neither will the covers. Can you describe the... Frankly, uh, it's painful to behold this colour. It's it's, oh, this cover. It's a, it's a riot of colour and slightly wonky art. It's, it's a lot. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're into this kind of collage territory now with the covers. Um, I will say the individual parts are pretty great. It's just the one kind of smushed together with no real consideration for what would actually look good. But uh, the kind of the main image in the foreground is being carted off in a squad car, which is hilarious. So it's Liz with like a cop holding, I guess, her hands behind her back. So one of the many useless members of the Sweet Valley PD. Uh, yes, escorting Liz, who's looking very forlornly to camera. Uh, you could just see the siren kind of on the roof of the car in front of her. It's, uh, yeah, it's all going down. But again, this is something that happened in the last book. So this yeah. is just... I don't know why they're doing it like this, but look, here we go. I will say I'm quite excited to see a canonical depiction of the fucking Castle Wakefield. It's the split level ranch house in all what its, is? I guess, glory. I mean, I guess this, the other level is out the back because that yeah. looks like a bungalow. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But I guess that's the thing with split level, isn't it? You kind of go in and there's kind of steps down and steps up and it's, it's, yeah, about... it's on a hill. It's on a slope. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of fun to actually see the, the house itself. It um, is. And then over to the side, <laughs> we have got Nicholas Morrow. And do you know, in fairness now to the artist, Nicholas Morrow is described as having dark hair, but we always picture him with blonde hair because he was blonde on the cover of Deceptions mm. four million years ago. Uh, but he is actually meant to have dark hair, which he does in this. So he's got dark hair, double down. <laughs> <laughs> Some very shiny black boots. He's oh, standing God. on a beach uh, with his date, who is looking up at him very coyly. She's kind of got, um, he's wearing a necklace of some sort. So she's got like her finger kind of looped through this necklace. Uh, she's very casual, got a hand in the pocket of her jeans, or maybe they're slacks, considering what. Uh, we what see, the I thought this was, this was Jessica and Todd. So oh I. My God, really? I presume this was Nicholas on his <gasps> hunt date. So that's why I thought I just went straight to Jessica and Todd because they're always going on a beach. And oh, that's why I didn't think right. it contradicted the. Mm, see, the I feel like this guy. Outfits. I thought this guy looked too happy to be Todd because Todd's pretty miserable <laughs> the whole time he's hanging out with Jessica. And also, this doesn't look like one of the twins. Because oh, to be fair, no. the twins do still have their, their John Lee Stack faces uh, on they these do. covers. But this is a different woman altogether. So, yeah, no, I presume that this was Nicholas and oh. Anne. But do they go to a beach? Well, you know what? These things are tiny details, Anna. And <laughs> did Liz get bundled into a cop car in this one? No. <laughs> well, it's a feast of terrible outfits, whoever it is, because they Ooh. are pretty awful jeans and terrible, I don't know, shiny 
boots that really don't go with the denims, with the faded 501s. Mm, they both have very shiny black shoes on. Okay, we're going to have to put this to a poll because I was so sure it was Nicholas <laughs> and now I'm doubting myself that actually it could be Jess and Todd. So yeah, I uh, yeah, I guess it's open to interpretation. <laughs> it is. Well, I'm doubting myself now because I'm just taking it for granted <laughs> that's who it was. <laughs> we'll leave it up to the listeners who'll probably end it in a fucking tie as usual. <laughs> be any argument about where this story begins because we're down the cop shop and it feels like a bad dream for Elizabeth oh my god yes she is being interrogated I guess uh in one of these horrible little dingy rooms in uh in the police station uh so yeah poor Liz is uh really going through it she's kind of wringing her hands kind of wishing that this all was a bad dream and she'll open her eyes and she'll be back in her room and it'll all be fine but of course that's not the case because she's got Ned uh sat beside her um and uh, the two detectives from the last book sitting across from her uh still kind of doing their whole good cop bad cop thing that was detectives marsh and perez um yeah so she does have to come to to terms with the fact that this is actually happening and is not a nightmare yes it's uh she's she just thinks of the the prom we get a bit of a recap of Mm. the fatal car crash and now we are told that all she can see now i think in the last book she had no memory of anything whatsoever but now we're told she can remember the road and a swirl of headlights Bear that in mind, listeners. Mm. Uh, so yes, Marsh and Perez are still doing the good cop, bad cop thing. And uh, they keep saying like, oh, we have to examine all the evidence. Um, but uh, they do say, uh, a boy is dead, Mr. Wakefield. We take that very seriously. And uh, Liz has a vision of Sam and she can't breathe because she's so overcome with sorrow. And Ned insists that he does understand the seriousness of the charge. I mean, does he? He did seem he seemed very surprised that the cops turned up at all. I know that was very annoying. It was like, come on, Ned, you're a lawyer, allegedly yes. <laughs> of some fucking sort. Um, with no real particular speciality, it seems like, because he just tries his hand <laughs> at fucking property law. Like family <laughs> law. law. <laughs> like whatever it is, Ned will probably give it a go as we find out. But uh yeah, he's yeah, look, it's it's all ridiculous. Um he kind of says then that like, you know, of course, this is a terrible thing that's happened. And, you know, but I want my daughter to understand that as long as no charges have been filed against her, she's under no legal obligation to answer your questions. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that even if there were charges against her, she still doesn't have to answer any of her questions until her actual lawyer is there. Like, so, yeah, yeah, There's, I mean, I think the least said about Ned's lawyer oh, skills. <laughs> I feel like the pair of us would make a better lawyer team than, than Ned alone. But yeah, oh, we would. <laughs> So maybe about it. <laughs> well, um, Liz is, doesn't actually mind answering questions, but she keeps repeating the fact she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't remember why she left the left the dance, even though Perez is like, was it because your twin sister, Jessica Wakefield, and your boyfriend, Todd Wilkins, were voted <laughs> from King and Queen? And Ned, uh, after that little bit of exposition, gets all defensive and is like, what are you saying asking my daughter this for? And it's like, it's a fairly, like, we know it's not justified, but it's not beyond the bounds of, you know, ex- what you might expect from mm. the cops to ask these things. Yeah. And anyway, it doesn't matter that because, uh, because Liz can't remember one way or the other. And then uh, Perez drops his bombshell. 
Yeah, so he reveals that, uh, yeah, that there's the lab, because yeah, of course Liz is insisting she doesn't remember anything, but yeah, Perez is like, look, the lab report showed a significant blood alcohol level in both uh, Liz and Sam Woodruff. Uh, so he says, you know, he apologizes to Ned and says, look, on the basis of that and other evidence we have added to Elizabeth's complete inability to offer anything in her defense, we're going to have to charge her with involuntary manslaughter. <gasps> Liz is as shocked as we are. Well, we're not that shocked. Well, no. <laughs> what's coming? But uh, Ned is like, don't worry, I'm going to get you the best defence lawyer money you can buy, which isn't him. Uh, <laughs> but Liz is just like, oh my God, this means I'm a murderer. And then she's taken to a holding cell overnight. She is a minor. I'm, yeah. Like, do we have any American lawyers listening? Because this seems illegal to me. You can't put a child, a child in a fucking holding cell with a bunch of adults overnight. I know this was absolutely wild. It was just, it was just a, a kind of an opportunity to show Liz really out of her element and out of her depth and not knowing what the fuck to do. But like, yeah, this was totally ridiculous. It's absolutely no way in hell this girl, this child, was being like left overnight in a cell and not like released to her parents. <laughs> Well, of course, uh, being Liz, we're told she faced the cell with the cell <laughs> with the same resolve that had helped her through her arrest and interrogation. And she's not alone in that cell. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she, she sure isn't. Oh, I love these two. Um, <laughs> yes, so there, there are two other women in this small space. Apparently, the first is a heavily made up, disheveled, middle-aged woman slumped against the opposite wall who's drunk off her ass. And I was like, ah, I can relate. <laughs> Honestly, disheveled, middle-aged, like smelling a booze. Uh oh, breathing loudly. <laughs> yup. Uh, but yes, she is I feel, also. I feel we also... should tell listeners that we have never drunk alcohol while making this podcast. Just no. in case anyone thought we were explaining a lot there. <laughs> No, I'm afraid that's all just us. Um, but yes, the second person then is a girl who's apparently not much older than Liz. She's got quite the outfit on and uh, Liz is trying to ignore them, but she feels their hostility just vibrating around the room. So uh, yeah, I uh, I can't wait to hear the voice you're going to do this middle-aged woman because I have been looking forward to that since I read her very first line of dialogue. What's the matter, honey? You get caught driving your daddy's Push too fast. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> and then baby face on the other uh, end of the cell goes, you know what? She said the other girl asks in a slow, wide drawl. Lucky for me, she's not my line of work. She could make a fortune with that California beach girl look of hers. That drives the guys nuts. <laughs> And Liz tries to talk to ignore them, but they keep taunting her. <laughs> Come on, princess, tell us what you're in for. Bet you've never been in a place like this before, have you, honey? And uh, the girl, so the girl goes along with this initially. She's mm. like, "Oh, I'm sure the princess finds her fancy suburban life totally boring. I'm sure she'd much rather be in here with us. It's so much cozier in a jail cell." But then this is too much for Liz. And finally, the numbness that has been sort of keeping her going since that accident 
just melts away in the face of uh, the, now she's facing the sh- <laughs> shadows of the iron bars <laughs> and the L triangle goes <laughs> jingle jangle. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Oh God! Yes, so uh, at least one of her uh, <laughs> companions in the clink takes it a bit pity on her because uh, the woman kind of is still sort of mocking her and going, "Oh, you know, you want your daddy to come and take you home." <laughs> All this kind of thing. You're missing your favorite TV show. You couldn't get a date. Uh, but the other, the other young one is like, "Oh, look, just leave her alone." She kind of snaps at her and says, "Look, she's clearly upset. Do us all a favor and sit down and pass out." <laughs> so she actually is being kind of nice to Liz. Um, she is. So uh, that is something, you know, you, you can't, you have to have a hooker with a heart of gold in these kind of situations. Exactly. I just like the idea of, of uh, Liz being a dame behind bars. I, I strongly recommend if anyone uh, likes uh, old films with sass mouth dames, the Barbara Stanwyck picture, Lady They Talk About, is amazing. and involves Babs going to jail for... Uh, <laughs> For I can't remember she's part of a bank robbery gang but there's a lot of uh, sassy jail talk <laughs> and I would have actually loved to read an entire book of uh, Liz in a sort of old timey prison it sounds like a fucking old timey prison in fairness the way these no. two are going it's like who would have thought this was written in 1993 because it does not sound like it <laughs> well uh, yeah Liz Liz thinks she'll she'll never feel better again no matter how much she sobs her heart out in her in her lonely cell <laughs> and uh then we cut from you know it's a world of extremes in this book because we go from the clink to fowler crest my goodness yes quite the change in tone here uh so we've got amy uh hanging out with lila um but lila is basically just flinging everything out of her wardrobe uh trying to find something to wear because she's going to be meeting her mother soon so she's trying to figure out the right outfit for it and amy as of course like the fucking youth counselor extraordinaire <laughs> is just like oh my god lila's so annoying talking about her mother oh, i'm so sick of hearing about grace like fuck off amy jesus <laughs> And Lila is kind of hysterical. Like, she's really mm. giddy. She keeps sort of laughing. Well, she's not the only one who's got uncontrollable laughter in oh this, uh, <laughs> this book. But, I thought uh, you meant us, but yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> there no, is I another didn't. one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not very self-aware myself. <laughs> we will have company in the uncontrollable giggles. <laughs> we will, though I have to say the other uncontrollable giggler is uh, slightly unnerving. But... Yeah, uh, Amy is remarkably unsympathetic as Lila worries about bonding with her mother and whether, you know, oh, uh, like, I don't want to look too sophisticated because then she just won't associate me with, you know, the child I once was. And, uh, you know, um, Amy has to sort of stop herself laughing out loud and says, I'm sure she remembers you when you were little. And to herself, she added, how well did she got to remember Lila? She's never even seen her with a full set of teeth. Jesus. Oh God. Yeah, but like Amy is being like her kind of internal uh, thought process is very impatient, I feel like, with Lila yes. and not and not very sympathetic to her situation because yeah, Lila is clearly a little hysterical and keeps like weirdly laughing at like non-jokes and is kind mm. of obviously freaking out a bit. Um but yeah, Amy the, the annoying thing is that Amy does have some good points. It's just that she's such a 
annoying character because <laughs> yeah. she is worried that Lila is kind of seeing it that like once she meets her mother it's going to solve all her problems yeah. and that's going to be the end of, of any of her troubles but of course that's an unrealistic expectation mm. to have um so it's like it's annoying that Amy is right in that <laughs> it's just that she's being very kind of judgmental I feel like about Lila here oh she really is but I think that she is she is genuinely worried about her as mm. well because Lila just keeps saying as soon as we see each other everything will fall into place everything will be all right everything will be fine and she's like oh maybe you should yeah. you know you don't want to get hurt don't like maybe just don't like place too much emphasis yeah. on this but mm. that makes a that makes lila sort of panicky and she's like what are you saying do you think she's not gonna like me do you think she'll be disappointed with me and um and actually amy is kind of worried that it genuinely won't work between the estranged mother and daughter and she when she tries to reassure lila lila takes everything up wrong and um Amy wishes Jessica was there because she was the only one who who could ever make Lila see reason. Hmm. And uh, then the phone rings and who should it be? Why, it's Grace herself. Uh, So Amy is like really tense and anxious during this whole full phone call because she's just like god what if they don't even like each other before they even actually meet face to face yeah but uh but lila is happy out apparently on the phone she's smiling and nodding and every so often she'll just be like oh yeah me too oh i'm really looking forward to it too and it seems like the call is all going well um so yeah so kind of lila turns around from the conversation and her eyes are filled with tears like it means so much to lila and i suppose it's not unreasonable for her with the kind of state that she's in to to be pinning everything on this like but of course it's not realistic of her um so yeah she's just really excited and hyped about this whole meeting and amy is just kind of like oh god you know i really hope that this is actually going to work out for her uh because yeah grace has been all kind of good on the phone and has said you know she can't stop thinking about me she wants to she wants me to know that so amy does hug lila and is just kind of hoping it's all going to work out for her so she does kind of come good but it's just at the start it's just amy is just so like oh god would she ever shut up about her mother it's like stop it amy oh you're long lost mother again (laughs) (laughs) this old tune (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well we cut to Sweet Valley University where basically Stephen is all stressed because he's because uh, of you know the family stuff now but the fact that his parents have suddenly had personality transplants become mm-hmm. absolutely useless but um, also he needs a roommate because he's some I don't think there's we got a reason for why he's moved out of his dorm and into an apartment but anyway it's like halfway through the school to the term um. So it's obviously hard to find a roommate, but he has seen an ad in the college paper saying, um, a mature and considerate, considerate student looking for immediate apartment share. Ask for Billy Winkler. Now, if I saw a mature student, I would think they were like 40. Well, yeah, that's the thing. A mature student. Yeah. Description of mature for a student means that's an older person who has gone back to college. Like that would have been. It does here. It does. Maybe not outside Ireland or... Yeah, but, I don't know. But, but yeah, just the wording. Yeah, here it would suggest it's it's a person much older than your usual college age. We'll say. Yes, but yeah, exactly. I suppose in this case, it's just a, a descriptor for this uh, this person's personality. So um, yeah, so he he wants to ring the number, but then before he does, the phone itself rings, and of course it's Ned because uh, oh. Stephen has just kind of been on edge waiting for updates on Liz. Uh, but yeah, he <laughs> just rings with the update that they've had a, a temporary setback because Liz is still in custody at the police station because these cops are the fucking worst. They're making her spend the night for no good reason. Uh, so yeah, Stephen is just like, right, I'm coming home. My place is with you guys. And for some reason, Ned is like, no, no, you know, you need to stay in college because they're kind of 
putting out this thing that like Stephen is so volatile that like if he comes yeah. home, he'll upset everybody. And I don't know where that's coming from because Stephen was never really the kind of hot tempered things yes. are kicking off kind of person. Like, yeah, he'll hang glide into a cliff face every so often <laughs> <laughs> and fall in love with doppelgangers of his dead girlfriend. But he's of not course. the type, he's not a punchy type like Todd is, you know, so he's not oh. really the type to fly off the handle. So I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, but for some reason, anyway, Ned is determined to just like keep Stephen at arm's length, like which is kind of yeah. weird because of course he's worried about his little sisters uh and, and also he's the home. most sensible like he's the only person in the family who seemed to be really facing up to the situation mm. i know yeah yeah true like he was pretty reasonable in the last book it was like okay we need to make an effort here because as you say ned and alice in the last book had just fucking checked out altogether it was like well yeah. there's nothing we can do it's like <laughs> you haven't done anything <laughs> Like at one stage here, Ned says, it doesn't matter, the situation's under control. And Stephen basically says, Liz is in fucking jail. So <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah. But uh, Ned's like, justice will prevail. It won't be long before this nightmare is over. But Stephen finds himself thinking, what if you're wrong, Dad? What if this nightmare has just begun? And he's not wrong. He's not. We cut to the Castletel Wakefield where even Prince Albert is miserable. Oh, oh God. He really is the kind of temperature gauge for the mood in the house, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he is. Well, um, he's waiting for Elizabeth to come home. His a large eyes sad. Um, and Jessica's thinking of Elizabeth too, but she's mostly thinking about Sam and uh we get a typical um, flight of fancy on the pa- on the part of the, the ghostwriter because we're told she sat at her bedroom window like a princess in a tower. Only there would be no prince coming for this princess. No <laughs> handsome young knight in a white charger to rescue her from her misery and make all her dreams come true. Not now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she looks out in the street, basically realises she'll never see Sam walking up to the house again, which would be sad. If it wasn't for the fact she was letting Liz take the blame for an accident that she called, because oh, God. Yeah. and we're told it's she, she... <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. Oh no, it's just, it's just so like <laughs> yeah, like obviously it's hard on Jessica, but it is very hard to feel sympathy for her when she was the architect of this whole fucking disaster. Like she's just, oh, yeah. she's terrible in this one. Because <laughs> we're told she doesn't like thinking about how she spiked Elizabeth and Sam's drinks. She wouldn't think about it. I don't say. She's as bad as fucking Margot. Do you know what? Like, there's layers of terribleness going on here with Jessica. Like, certain amount of it is denial, sure. But, like, a lot yeah. of it is just full-on fucking sociopathy. Like, she's just... Yes! She's, she's lost the run of herself, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's gone to the bargaining stage of the, you know, the stages of grief. Because when she sees a boy who looks like Sam outside, she's, like, praise to the universe for him to return. And then she uh, she thinks of Liz again. And she just has some quite astonishing self-justification because she thinks and the last book, it was sort of like she knew mm. she had caused this accident and she really was tormented by it. And she was tormented about what she was doing to Liz. But now she's thinking, even though Jessica had played that silly joke, we're told, mm. on Elizabeth and Sam, the accident, obviously, it had nothing to do with Jessica. It was all Elizabeth's fault. Then she starts smiling evilly. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. Uh, yeah, she reckons that uh, this is yeah a sign that if Elizabeth was to be punished for Sam's death, then she'd start to feel better. Like, and again, yeah, how much of this is just complete denial on Jessica's part? But it's also like, no, no, you're quite consciously like wishing this on Liz now, even though you do know yourself, this is your fault. Yes. 
Well, then we cut to Cleveland, and this is a genuinely upsetting scene, and we're obviously not going to linger on the, mm. the darker moments, but just, just be aware that this scene involves uh, a child being tormented, which is pretty horrible. And I don't think it's a coincidence this child is called Georgie, because this came out just a few years after it, which also oh. starts with a little kid called Georgie being little murdered. Georgie. That's funny, yeah. I was thinking of that Georgie, actually, during this scene. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Margot's locked him in a cupboard, and he basically throughout the scene, the terrified Georgie is begging to be let out, while Margot was listening to her Mrs. Uh, Smith's Walkman and filing her nails. <laughs> you know, I just I I wish that she wasn't being so particularly dark in this because the thoughts of her just like filing her nails and listening to a Walkman while something terrible is going on is kind of funny. It is. If it just, wasn't a child, this is the thing. It's the fact that it is like this poor little kid. Um, it's, it's just like I like, I really want to root for Margot, but she makes it hard. <laughs> In this book, anyway. Yeah. So she's trying to remember some song about like wanting to get out of Ohio, which, um, but she can't think, and she blames Georgie's cries mm. for distracting her. So she's like, "Shut up, brat!" And uh, she turns her walkman up to drown out his his anguished wails. Um, but then she thinks of another song Cal- uh, about California. I'm guessing it's California. Here I come. It's. Because there's a bit later on where she says, California, here I come. So I presume this is the one she's thinking of. But uh... yeah, it must be. Yeah, because there's a couple of times she's like, oh, Margot's trying to think of a song or she hears a song. And I'm always kind of just taking a stab at the dark of which song that is. (laughs) Because I don't know if this Ohio thing even is a real song. Yeah, same here. Um, I couldn't think of anything anyway. But but yes, the voice is is back in full form anyway. And uh, she's, yeah, she starts thinking about California where life is perfect. And she reckons that in California, she'll find everything she's ever wanted. So uh, yeah, she knows this because, you know, the voice told her so. Yes, apparently every night it whispers, California, California is where you want to go, Marco. California is your destiny. <laughs> the voice knows. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not serious or wrong, it has to be said. But we then learn, because this is the thing, they're trying to give Marco some sort of psychological tragic depth, whereas you know, where she clearly has some fucked up past. Yes. However, Jessica Wakefield, who we know grew up in a genuinely loving home, is a stone cold psychopath. <laughs> so I don't know what lesson we're meant to learn about what makes people it's do true. terrible things. It's very, uh, very conflicting uh, scenarios here. <laughs> That's very true. What is the lesson? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Marco seems more like she has, you know, full on delusions now mm-hmm. because she thinks she was taken from her parents by a hateful old witch when she was born. And according to the voice, but once she gets to California, she'll find her real parents and uh, she'll have this amazing life. All she needs to do is get some money. But Georgie has she blames Georgie for getting in her way. Because uh, uh, yeah, he hasn't told her a few things. This is it, because she had stolen a ring at the end of the last book, but it turns uh-huh. out uh, it wasn't real. It looked like a big ruby ring, but it sounds like it was costume jewellery. Um, yeah. And apparently this is Georgie's fault for not knowing the ins and outs of his mother's jewellery business. <laughs> at um, five. Uh, yeah, yeah, come on, Georgie, get it together. Um, but yeah, and uh, it's also apparently Georgie's fault that he hadn't warned her that his parents never keep any cash in the house. So basically, Marco's kind of plan to fleece this family isn't quite going to... Uh, going right for her at the minute anyway um 
so but she does remember that apparently uh, the mother was talking about this kind of consignment of really valuable jewellery that's coming in to her antique shop in the next few days. So Margaret's like, right, if she can get her hands on that, she'll be able to get out of here, leave this whole mess behind uh, and get get her way to uh, to California for herself. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, anyway, poor little Georgie is still uh, dealing with being locked in a press. Um, yeah, so she kind of decides then, yeah, this is all Georgie's fault. So she does let him out uh, and things go from bad to worse for oh, poor Georgie awful. here. She kicks yeah. him. It's really she upsetting. Does. Yeah, it's awful. Um, really bad. So she kind of, what is it? She just she, she threatens him. It's horrible. She enjoys uh, his, the power and making yeah. him beg for, you know, beg her to stop, basically. Mm. Yeah. And yes, and she smiled like a snake. <gasps> The snake references are back. I do enjoy the little snake nods for like, especially seeing as she doesn't like snakes. It's like, well, you brought them up, Margot. So yeah. now we're stuck with a snake allegory. I hope you're happy. <laughs> In every book. Yeah. And then, yes, here it is. She silently cries, California, here I come. <laughs> Loves a show tune, that one. <laughs> she does. Well, she's got a soundtrack. She's she's definitely uh, pays attention to, to her fave tunes, we find oh out God. in this book. You could make a Margot playlist. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, if we don't, listeners, please, what of you do? <laughs> If you could figure out the Ohio song. Yeah, what is that? Like, what could you have been thinking of? Bear in mind, it's a 1993. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, work your magic, uh, <laughs> listeners. And then we cut to the Morrow Mansion. And Nicholas, unlike any 18-year-old I knew in 1993, the year in which I turned 18 myself, is uh, is getting ready for for his date. And he's uh, he's quite the uh, formal. Oh, no, he's going to work. I thought it was a date too because he. I, I had to go oh, back because he picks up right. an attaché case, and I was like, "Wait, is he bringing a briefcase to a date?" Because I would not put it past. I absolutely wouldn't either. So I went back, and he actually is getting ready for work. Uh, but still, it's the way he's going on is like he's going on a date because he's admiring his reflection before he leaves the house, going, "Not bad, not bad at all. Elegant, but understated. <laughs> Businesslike, but with an edge of flamboyance and originality, just like me." Gives himself a wink. What girl could resist a combination like that? Like, dude, what is happening here? Are you okay? <laughs> He's doing all this aloud. <laughs> but then his wink becomes a wry, self-deprecating smile. And he says, roughly every single woman in the state of California, one in Oregon at last count. I have to say that if we didn't already know what a, a creepy... Um, Dennis Reynolds, Nicholas was his sort of self-deprecation and flamboyance might be quite charming. However, we do know him, and he isn't, and he sucks, and we know that. So yes. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But it's basically a page and a half about how amazing he is and how he can't find a girl. Yeah. Uh, and like, what do these bitches want? Basically, <laughs> it's, well, like they don't, so- it's like they don't want to be stalked with an image of their lives. <laughs> no pleasing these people. Yeah. Well, we also got some. I I cannot believe this is annoying me as much as as much as it is, but it is genuinely annoying me. The retconning about Olivia and Nicholas, because we're told the only woman who thought he was handsome and dashing and wonderful was Olivia Davidson, and she was his best friend, not a potential girlfriend. They have never exchanged 
more than a sentence even that in the last 97 books like unless that Olivia storybook that we haven't read has done some insanely heavy lifting in terms of this (laughs) friendship but even at that this they've made this out to be more than one book's worth of like very intense fucking brother sister friendship like great fucking rapport relationship these two are mad about each other and hang out all the time and like the fuck they do we are in book 96 and these two fuckers have never had a conversation before the last book again unless this happens in Olivia's story but still I doubt half of her story lingers on her being pals with Nicholas like as like they've not buying it (laughs) No, and it's it's actively, I feel, I can't believe I'm saying it about this aspect of this book, but I feel like my intelligence is being insulted by this story. <laughs> Everything else in this book is fine. It's just this storyline we have a problem with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just their relationship. Just like, hmm. you know, come on, Francine. Like, we've read the last 97 books and all the specials, apart from Livia's story, obviously, and... <laughs> It's like, Jesus, of all the ones to have missed, clearly it was a fucking linchpin of this whole thing to fit it all together. But like, damn, who knew it was so vital? <laughs> who knew the one book that would be canon would be Olivia's story? <laughs> it's like this whole plot line hinges on Olivia's story. <laughs> Jesus, lads, come on. <laughs> speaking of Olivia's story, I didn't, like, we don't see hide nor hair of that uh, weird millionaire stalker boy who lured her round to his house. Like, oh my that's God. Just disappeared he's completely got like I don't know did he just did she murder him before he got a chance to murder her maybe because yeah that man is not to be seen in this book at all it's very strange I mean probably for the best mm. well Nicholas checks his mail and sees one addressed in neon pink with an enormous red kiss mark sealing the back flap and when he opens it the expression on his face changes from bewilderment to horror <laughs> Well, yes, because it is, of course, a missive from Hunks, <laughs> the popular television show that gave contestants the chance to meet the girl of their dreams. So he has to lean against the wall for support because he's fucking dramatic. Uh, and uh, yeah, reads the letter, which is congratulating him on being selected uh, to participate in Hunks. Uh, so yeah, from the details we've received, we think you are the ideal Hunk, capitalized Hunk. <laughs> handsome and hopeful about love and we look forward to helping you change your life and your luck so he's kind of reading this letter over and over and like how has this happened who gave them my details and eventually he twigs that uh, why of course it's his fucking bff olivia who's put him up to this yes we're told there was only one person who knew him well enough to know how like how unacceptable to know how lonely he really was and only one person who cared about him enough to want to joke about the what he was in and he also had the sense of humor to come up with something like this and he literally says olivia (laughs) out loud he's so scary (laughs) no and also just i can't believe we're we're expected to buy this sort of you know, oh, of course. Yeah, of course it's Olivia. Yeah, who else would it be? I mean, <laughs> no one else but in, in reading this is going to think, ah, uh, yes, of course, that classic buddy act of Nicholas and Olivia. <laughs> but uh, anyway, besides, he's nothing to lose and walks out whistling. Mm, he's in great form. So we cut to Sweet Valley High and a nervous Elizabeth is back in school and... Uh, Apparently, um, being in Sweet Valley High again, since it's the first time she's been back since being released on bail, because they let her out, <laughs> but it makes prison seem like a picnic on the beach. 
No, she wishes she was with her mouthy dames back in the cell, clearly. You'd take that over the high school cafeteria any day. Well, you know, in prison, you get three hots and a cot. <laughs> and that's your lot. Well, I mean, I think they have at least four hot meals a day in Sweet Valley. They're always popping off to the dairy burger and stuff. So maybe it, uh, it was it was meagre, meagre uh, uh, rations for her. But yes, we're, we're told in the olden days she'd have been chatting with her pals. But in those days, she was a carefree and happy teenager, admired and liked by everyone. In, the, in this life, she was a criminal, condemned by many and shunned by all. Um, yes, so she, sorry. Um, she, uh, yes, feels like she's being watched wherever she goes and uh, eventually runs into Enid. She does, um, because it, apparently she seeing Enid um makes her think of the olden days and how there's no getting back to the time of uh you know when when she was just a carefree happy teenager, <laughs> and so she can't. There's no point in pretending that things haven't changed. So she just runs away dramatically. Oh my goodness! Yes, the first of a few running away crying scenes. Yes, and uh, she forces back the tears that had turned the hallways of Sweet Valley High into corridors of misery. I did love that. That oh. is some high-class melodrama right there. New <laughs> band today. <laughs> love it. If we start a band, let's call the Corridors of Misery. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> but while she's running through the Corridors of Misery, they're... Uh, they're they're pretty cheerful holds for Jessica because she's at the lockers with Amy and her contain warm contagious laugh is bubbling through the hall. Oh Jesus, save yourselves! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jessica is really putting on a show of everything is fine, everything is normal. Uh-huh. Uh, so she's chatting away with Amy. Amy's telling her about some disaster of a date that she's been on. And uh, yeah, Amy's like, oh my God, he used her scarf to wipe his windshield. Uh, and Amy's like, I know, oh my God, I wanted to kill him, Jess. I, and like stops mm-hmm. herself suddenly putting a hand over her mouth. And Amy is so dramatic here. It's like, all you need to do is keep talking. Like it was fine. Yes. Figure of speech. But she makes this big fucking deal out of the fact that she said she wanted to kill somebody. <laughs> and uh she kind of, yeah, because when she stops and like her eyes go all wide and Jessica kind of stops and looks at her and she's like, what's wrong with you? Um, you don't have anything to be sorry about. And Amy's like, oh, but Sam, I mean, I shouldn't have joked about. And Jessica kind of cuts her off and is like, look, it's fine. You can joke about whatever you want. But like, Amy is just so bad at dealing with oh people my who are going through things. I'm just like, even those 45 minutes of training and project years, like <laughs> really something would have equipped her for like how to fucking talk like a human to her friends who have had bad no. things happen to them. But no. <laughs> Absolutely not. She is useless. Uh, but in fairness though, who is trained to deal with Jessica? Because <laughs> we're we're told she tells when she tells Amy that she has everything under control, you know, she's fine. There's, you know, she's like she doesn't need people don't need to you know tiptoe around her but um she thinks for once in her life jessica was telling the absolute truth i mean well done for acknowledging that you're a pathological liar Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yes she does have everything under control she's controlling her feelings by pretending to be her old self and, in, and so she can enjoy everybody turning on liz oh my god <laughs> this mad bitch like honest to god yeah <laughs> Yeah, as much as she liked the fact that for once everyone was on her side and not Elizabeth's, as much as she enjoyed the set being the centre of attention and sympathy. However, yeah, she still doesn't want anyone to get too close to her. 
she didn't want them to know the truth. So there is a tiny little kernel of self-awareness in here somewhere buried underneath these fucking layers of delusion and fucking thoughts of revenge, I guess, that are consuming her. But like, my God. I thought when she... Oh, so this is open to interpretation again because Ooh. I thought that when she said she didn't want them disco- discovering the truth in this scene, she didn't mean that... But actually, she, maybe she did mean the truth about the accident because I thought it was like the truth of her plan for vengeance. You know, she didn't <laughs> want everybody to realise that she was mid-scheme. Oh. But, hmm. but it could be both. I guess, yeah. yeah. So uh, she sees, uh, so she's chortling away, but then they're approaching the cafeteria and she sees uh, Liz go through the lunchroom and uh, she thinks her her eyes darken because her parents are all worried about Liz going to jail and we're told she'd see about that. <laughs> and she says that the only thing that will ease some of the pain caused by Sam's death is revenge and she says that was the reason she was pretending to be alright because if anyone suspected her she really felt they might try to stop her like yeah big yikes here Jessica (laughs) very big yikes (laughs) and then we cut to Liz's POV and I I, am I wrong in thinking this slightly contradicts what we were told in the last book because she's trying to avoid um, she's, she's found a quiet corner of the cafeteria and she's trying to avoid looking you know, looking around for Todd, which is her hmm. instinct. And we're told, we're reminded that they haven't talked since the accident, but we're told he approached her at the funeral and she turned away. Now, I seem to remember in the last book, we were told he like, wouldn't, he just mumbled something and wouldn't hang around. Yeah, that's right. He kind of says hello to her and that's it. Like he was very wooden and stiff. I feel like, yeah, in any of the interac- interactions they had in the last book. But yeah, as you say, this does sound like they literally haven't said two words to each other. Yeah. But like, they have had like one like very awkward conversation, not even a conversation, I guess, interaction. But yeah, this does sound like, yeah, like, he like she instigated it. Like, mm. yeah, it's weird. Yeah, mm. this does. Yeah, this does feel a little inconsistent. All right. Well, she's been waiting for his call since then. And understandably so. Like she, every day she wakes mm. up and it's like, OK, he was in shock before, yeah. but he's got a call today. Mm-hmm. He can't be this mad at me. He has to call. But he... He doesn't. And then she still hopes that hope this morning that as soon as he saw her, he'd be like his old self and thinks maybe if he saw her sitting al- alone, you know, his heartstrings would be tugged. Um, and she's completely convinced that would happen that will happen. It's absolutely not unreasonable, mm. given, you know, their serious relationship. But then Enid turns up and very actually genuinely, really nicely is like, Look, I know you're trying to avoid me, but just let me support you. I'm yeah. standing by you. And Liz is really touched. But then Enid goes to the counter to get food. And Liz is like, no, I'm fine. I've got mine already. But then Liz sees something in Enid's bag. And this makes no sense. None whatsoever. So yeah, she she decides, she's kind of looking around. She doesn't want to be pretending to read her book anymore. And she doesn't want to look up at the cafeteria because she feels like everyone's going to be looking at her and she's going to be trying to avoid people staring. So she's kind of glancing around, notices a copy of the local paper sticking out of Enid's bag. So she decides, oh, I can just read that until she comes back. So she like pulls it out and then gasps really loudly going, oh no, because on the front page, it's a picture of her uh, with the headline, local girl to stand trial. And then she starts crying and is like how could Ina do this to her how could she pretend to be her friend when obviously she'd intended for Elizabeth to see that story like first of all it was in her bag was she supposed to be like ah yes Liz will go rooting through my stuff like she always does (laughs) and then she'll find this ah my dastardly plan like no Liz sorry but this is on you you went fucking rooting around (laughs) through her bag so anything you find like 
you're not really allowed to get upset about also, it's just a local paper like it's I not know. that bad it's in her bag she could have been reading it on the bus oh stop yeah this was very funny in fairness it was just like Liz just look I know you're obviously got a lot going on right now but like get a fucking grip please <laughs> I mean we're all hoping that <laughs> well elsewhere in the cafeteria Lila is discussing Grace again and wondering oh they could go to a Mexican restaurant but maybe she wants something more glamorous um, and at Ly- Annie says oh she probably doesn't even like Mexican food which is a weird thing to say mm-hmm. and Lila agrees because my mother's a very sophisticated woman you know I'm sure she's sampled every cuisine in the world and then she eats a cross off because apparently she's going through a quote continental phase <laughs> yes which apparently includes a lot of croissants <laughs> good for her <laughs> so uh, Grace is staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel we're told but Jessica isn't uh, doesn't care one way or the other because she thinks there's more important th- things in life than Lila and her mother there was death for instance and then she looks at Liz and thinks and there was vengeance <laughs> uh, but she covers up these thoughts with some casual racism Oh God! Yes, she. Uh, yeah, they're still banging on about what kind of food Grace likes. Uh, so Jessica's contribution to the conversation is that yeah, she's like yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Mexican is too ethnic for someone from Paris. She'll be used to much more elegant food. Like, what are you talking? Fuck about? off! <laughs> See, she is. She is the villain in she this is. book. True. Margot's here to save us all. <laughs> <laughs> Take Jessica, Margot. Take Jessica. <laughs> No one will know the difference. It's true. Honestly, you might be an improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lila's pleased with this casual racism, unsurprisingly, based on her history. But Jessica doesn't really give a shit because she's delighted. She sees the results of her dastardly plan. My goodness, yes. Her plan for vengeance apparently involved her planting the newspaper in Enid's bag uh, to upset Liz. I don't know. But yeah, so basically this was all Liz's, or this is all Jessica's doing because of course Enid would never carry around a copy of the local paper in her oh, bag. Such a, <laughs> just, such a just to upset aggression. Like, yeah, this is a very strange little plan. But anyway, it's uh, this was Jessica's little um, revenge plot for this lunchtime at least. Um, but yeah, then, yeah, they kind of move on. Caroline is being stupid and insensitive and she's going on about how uh, she doesn't understand why why Lila's so anxious to meet her mother. Everyone else wishes they could get rid of their mothers for a while. My mother drives me crazy. And Jessica does actually snap at Caroline and is like, that is so insensitive. Lila hasn't even seen her mother since she was two. Because like, yeah, Caroline, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Um, but yeah, so they all kind of slag Caroline off a little bit there. But uh yeah, she's uh, Jessica's just kind of berating her and uh, taking a bit of pleasure out of getting a chance to give out to somebody. She's like, I just don't understand you, Caroline. Uh, and she's like, she, she doesn't, she knows that Liz has run off crying, but doesn't actually see it. She kind of like, she can feel rather than see her twin rushing from the room. And she's like, you just never think of anybody but yourself, do you? Like, she's very much villain mode. Oh, and there's a pot and a kettle oh, <laughs> in look, the same room. Honestly, she's got <laughs> Well, we're uh, we cut to Sweet Valley University where Stephen is stressing out. He can't concentrate on anything because his dad is still being vague, and uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's beginning to think that if even if the entire family were about to be carted off to jail, his mother would tell them they were fine. Um, 
And he still hasn't sorted out the housemate thing. So he, he rings a number and he gets a message and it's a pleasant male voice says neither David nor Billy is in right now. So he leaves a message and um uh, and g- describes the apartment and gives the rent. Um, but he realises he's not going to be around to show uh, Billy around because he has to go back to Sweet Valley. So he says, look, just call over next Monday at eight o'clock or whatever. I, I'll, if I don't hear from you, I'll assume you're coming. Mm. So, yeah, he feels he sourced out that problem. And then we cut to Margot. <gasps> and she's she's having nightmares. She is. And again, this is, I guess, kind of alluding to like bad things that have happened to Margot in the past, uh, mm. because it's like she's kind of having a dream now that she's trapped in some small dark place. Uh, closet. And yeah, and there's this there's this voice, but it's not it's not like her <laughs> her little golem voice as, as listeners have described it <laughs> lovingly. Um, but there's this other voice, the witch's voice. Apparently it's one that she hears in her dreams. So Margot's in this closet and the voice outside is saying, I warned you, didn't I? Didn't I warn you, you little brat? Uh, and the voice starts laughing and it's all high and shrill and Margot starts to cry. Uh, and it's all just like taunting her and horrible mm. and saying, oh, you thought you were clever. You thought you could get away from me. Um, so again, it's like, is this something that actually happened? to her or like what's the crack here mm. um but yeah so it's kind of it's kind of a little role reversal where she's the kind of the Georgie in this situation because yes, she's been trapped yes. in this little place um and someone's just laughing and being horrible to her on the other side of the door um mm. but yeah she this wakes voice, up screaming she does yeah it's really it really gets to her this this kind of witchy voice that's kind of yes again not the <laughs> the other there's a lot of voices going on here with Margot this poor yeah. girl has a lot to deal with <laughs> gonna roll with us this is a girl with real problems jessica um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah once again she's being urged to uh to get out of here and go to california because <gasps> she has to find her real home yes because the good voice comes back and wraps <laughs> itself around her and uh, says the brat knows where the keys are the brat can show you the keys to the safe for mrs smith what those jewels marco <laughs> so <laughs> it's time to go so we cut to Sweet Valley High and uh, Jessica and Lila are leaving school. And Jessica just has, what's a plot of revenge, but Lila just keeps banging on about Grace. And uh, apparently Grace has her own plane. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, she she can she can fly her own plane. So I guess good for you, Grace. But Jessica is trying to think about some class story they learned in English. Now, I don't, I, if any listeners recognize this story, I did not. But apparently it's about a woman who waits 30 years to avenge the death of her husband. But Jessica is willing to wait that long. She wants revenge right now. And um, Lila is all excited because she found a picture of her and Grace together when she was a baby. But Jessica just is more interested in thinking about her revenge plot. So Lila's like, uh, this is very important to me. You know, I'm meeting my mother and Ly- Jessica thinks, you think that's important? But I'll tell you what's important. It's I think it's important that Sam's dead. And then part of her uh, thing said, I'll never get to tell him how sorry I am for what I... And then pauses and goes, for what happened? Mm. so there is a part of her that knows that yeah. she caused all this but anyway she covers up her desire for vengeance mm-hmm. and doesn't let the smile slip but then she sees Todd and she gets an idea <laughs> yeah <she's, laughs> she says I can help myself I can get my revenge and not have to wait 30 years <laughs> <gasps> 
And then we're told like Jessica and Lila weren't the only ones with a lot in their minds that afternoon. Bruce Patman <laughs> had a lot in his mind too. Oh God. Yes, because once again, like we're just gonna do so much jumping around. Oh, <laughs> just like the last book. I swear book. to God. Chaotic. And it just it only gets worse from here. I feel like it just snowballs into this fucking indecipherable mess of little crisscrossing <laughs> moments that are so unnecessary. Uh oh, so God. just get ready, everybody, for jumping from one thing to another after like oh. a paragraph. It gets ridiculous. <laughs> and even in this scene, it's basically all you need to know is is that Bruce is watching TV, but everything reminds him of Pamela. Yes. And it, we get like three pages of what he's watching and uh, basically he ends up shouting at the television literally shouting don't let her fool you she's only gonna break your heart take it from me man everybody <laughs> falls in love deserves what he gets <laughs> so he turns off the telly but he still can't think he tries to think of something else tennis the new cafe at the country club oh my god he's got the thoughts of a retiree Honestly, I mean, look, that's consistent for Rizvi Valley in terms of fashion and thought processes. But yeah, he was yelling at an ad basically there earlier. He like, it turns off the telly, flings the remote across the room. He's having a moment, uh, being very dramatic. So he's kind of going back and forth and he's like, oh, I can't believe she did that to me. Oh, maybe I should forgive her. Maybe I overreacted. And he's just kind of doesn't know what to do with himself, basically, because mm. he is mad about Pamela, doesn't want to admit it doesn't know if he should believe the gossip or not. And then he's like, oh, he thought she was an angel, but she Ugh. turned out to be a tramp. And like, based on what, dude? Come on. Oh, um, but anyway, the, the thuggish boy. I know. But uh, as we know, thuggish boys can always be believed in this time. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, uh, but the phone rings and snaps him out of his uh, little tantrum for at least a minute or two. <laughs> Yes, it's for for who could it be but Pamela? And her voice came through the receiver like a steel blade, we're told. And it's straight to his heart. Oh. So she uh, begs him not to hang up. But it's like, meeting you changed my life. It changed me. All the things you told me about Regina and her death. Oh, well, great first date topic. <laughs> what a great date. Let me tell you all about my dead girlfriend. <laughs> and how meeting me had started you feeling again. Well, that would really win me over. Mm -hmm. Somebody who was clearly still going through some shit. Gee. But um, Bruce wished he could close his ears against her words as easily as he could close his eyes against his own tears. <laughs> so she says, if there was any truth in all that, I mean, was there already? But anyway, uh. she, then you have to give me a chance to explain. So Bruce gives in. Yeah, so he arranges, uh, they arrange to meet the following night in the Box Tree Cafe. So she's mm. uh, she's all grateful and whispering, thank you, Bruce. Uh, and as he's falling asleep that night, he can hear the whisper in his head. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> Not the musical laugh, but it'll have to do for now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> well, we got to... I'm sorry, I think he might be the worst character in this book. Todd. Oh, fucking hell. And actually, this is the first like actual Todd point of view I think we've yes. gotten since A Night to Remember. And... Wowee, this was not worth waiting for. <laughs> it excuses and explains nothing. In fact, it makes him worse. Oh so if you ever, I mean, I've never seen such a passive character in all my days. Like things just happen to him. And uh, he seems to have no free will whatsoever. None. Because he's meant to be doing his history paper, but he's thinking of Liz. And we're told his life feels like a nightmare. And the worst thing is that it was all his own fault. Yes. Um... <laughs> So he's like, when Elizabeth had needed him the most, he had been there for her. Why? Why indeed? Because <laughs> the only... The, uh, we don't get an excuse. 
house. Like just he was shocked. This is it. It's like basically the explanation for Todd's complete fucking abandonment of his girlfriend is that he was shocked, didn't know what to say, so just did nothing and has been avoiding her since. And apparently the whole time he's been like, oh, I need to see Liz. And now it's it's too late and I've I've gone down the wrong road and he couldn't get back. It's like literally all you have to do is pick up the fucking phone and ring her. Like, yes. It's ridiculous. It's like, oh, I couldn't possibly ring her now after all this time. And it's like, yeah, it might be awkward, but like. You need to be there for her. You have not spoken to her since like before she was in hospital, arrested, spent a night in jail. He still has not said as much as two words to her. Like they haven't even broken up. So like, what's the fucking story here? (laughs) Seriously, because this point of view is excusing and explaining, as you say, absolutely fucking nothing. It's shocking. And the phone rings and a sweet, familiar voice poured itself through the line. And <laughs> he thinks it's Liz. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's full. He's, he's full of joy because uh, he thinks it was Elizabeth. She sounded sad, but it was she. Make her grab her dot. <laughs> For it was Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, it isn't um, because it's Jessica and we're told his disappointment was even even greater than his joy had been. And Jessica, the evil bitch, puts on quite a performance. Oh, my God. Like, you know, we know she's a good actress and like, wow, she really puts those skills to use. I mean, I was going to say good use, but it is just pure evil use. (laughs) Yeah, so she puts on a whole show of breaking down and crying on the phone, uh, trying to speak and she can't. And he's like, Jessica, oh my God, what's wrong? Take some deep breaths. Uh, You know, tell me what's wrong. She's like, oh my God, everything's wrong. I didn't know if I should call you or not, but I don't know who else to turn to. I've never felt so alone in my life. Um, So she starts going on about how... uh, Oh, that's the other thing then. Of course, Todd thinks that something's wrong with Liz and this is why she's calling him. But when it turns out it's just just being miserable he's like oh okay this is nothing to do with Liz so he kind of not relaxes a bit but he kind of realizes he's been holding his breath thinking there's some terrible news uh but anyway Jess goes on to just say that she misses Sam so much and everybody and all her friends and says oh they're only interested in themselves after the funeral they acted like everything was back to normal but things won't ever be normal for me but of course she's the one who's being like weirdly forcefully normal and her friends are a bit like Jesus what's going on with Jessica she's not really uh, acting normal at all um so yeah she kind of just yeah just just really kind of lays it on really thickly in this phone call about how miserable she is and she doesn't know what to do so Todd suggests they go see a movie together because he's just like oh god you know maybe you know I I haven't really thought about Jessica at all and of course she's going through things and maybe you know if she doesn't have anyone that she feels like she can talk to Maybe he's someone who could understand how she feels. So yeah, he invites her along to go to a movie, get some pizza afterwards. And Jess is like, oh, you really want to take me out? And of course, Todd's like, hadn't really uh, thought of it that way. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's not really what I meant. But he's like, but of course, Jessica didn't mean going out in the sense of a date. She just meant going out. So he's like, yeah, 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 of course I mean it. How about tomorrow? So they arrange for this uh, cinema date, like for the following yeah. night. And of course she says, it's a date. Oh, but he's not God. listening because he's just thinking about Liz. Mm. So yeah, his reasoning is that if he helps Jessica, it'll help him kind of get back in with Liz again and that he'll get to talk to Liz if he kind of, yeah, kind of opens lines of communication, I guess, with Jess. He'll mm. then get around to talking to Liz. But it's just like, this is the most convoluted fucking way. Literally oh. all you have to do is ring your girlfriend. But yes! <laughs> Instead of going through the girl, the, her sister, who you have never really trusted Mm-mm. and who you have not had a good relationship with and who you know is a proven liar. So we cut to L.A., and the Hugs Studio, 
where Nicholas is nervous and asks his BFF, allegedly, Olivia, how he looks. Because, um, yeah, he's been brought in as a last minute substitute, apparently, yes. which is, I guess, <laughs> how hugs works. Well, there you go. They've got a system. Uh, yeah, so it's all happened very quickly. It's a bit of a whirlwind for old Nick. Uh, but, yeah, he's feeling nervous about going on telly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's not sure what he's more nervous about, whether it's, it's actually going on telly as a hunk or having to go out with one of these dream girls because uh, if nothing else Nicholas is a fucking judgmental square dick oh I mean I'm not surprised but really he is so easily shocked like he has never seen I guess she's kind of into industrial metal based on the club she goes to but she dresses like a goth yeah, so dream girl number one, this is Jackie with two Ks. And yeah, apparently she's like reasonably pretty, apparently, only you can't really tell under all the makeup and she's got a tattoo. Oh my God. And it's hard to imagine what she'd look like in normal clothes with pink lips and just a little colour around the face and oh, around the eyes. is it? Do you know what? He's one of those lads who'd be like, oh, she looks so much better without makeup. And the picture of the girl without makeup, like very clearly is wearing eyeliner, mascara, <laughs> blusher, lip oh gloss, like a dewy foundation. It's like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Shut up, Nicola. <laughs> I had those arguments with boys when I was in college. <laughs> And he is one of them. <laughs> Do you remember one saying to me, like, like, you never wear makeup and you look great. And I was like, I have been wearing makeup literally every day you've seen me. Like, <laughs> not a huge amount, but yes. Yeah, just... <laughs> Idiot. Oh, good lord. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, he can't imagine her uh, in normal clothes because um, it was like trying to imagine Dracula without a cape and fangs. And it was also hard to imagine what it would be like going to a restaurant with her. What kind of food would she eat? Raw meat? Bugs? Like, the, this How is, is it possible that you are this fucking square in 1993? <laughs> By the way, like this girl Jackie, like it's not like she's turned up like in fancy dress as Dracula or anything. Or she's just wearing a outfit or something. She's wearing an outfit that's all black, and that's just scandalous enough, apparently. And the fact that she's wearing black and has a tattoo and is wearing like blue lipstick and purple eyeshadow. So, like, yeah, having a bit of fucking fun with her makeup. Uh, but yeah, he's just not having it at all. And frankly, I'm sick of Sweet Valley and their anti-goth bias because I've heard enough of it. <laughs> it's not on and they need to cop on and get rid of this weird prejudice against people wearing black clothes. It's weird. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, can we describe her outfit now or will we wait? Oh yeah, no, we'll we'll describe it now. Uh, yes, so he, yeah, and he's such a creep as well. Like Nicholas could almost make out a slender body. Like I'm sure he'd rather you didn't. Uh, underneath the baggy black dress, black leggings, ripped black lace tights and black boots. It's like, that's not even even that weird of an outfit like no. it's a little weird it's, to wear tights and leggings I guess but I, I mean say, yeah. <laughs> but other than that like it's a baggy dress and boots like fucking relax Nicholas will you <laughs> I mean that is very tame for very. 1993 yeah um so uh yeah he's uh he's easily shocked by her but um luckily girl number two is looks very nice <laughs> we're told um, and for what we um, apparently you just think she looks like a nice normal teenage girl. By the way, how old are the contestants on Honks meant to be? <laughs> it's kind of vague, isn't it? We don't really know. Yeah. Like, are they twenty five? Are they seventeen? Who knows? Oh. Well, <laughs> Susan, I'm just gonna say Susan is not capable of consenting to go on this show. 
Susan should not be on this show at all. I'm frankly slightly worried about Susan, I must say. Yes. Susan needs a responsible adult looking after her. Because there is some duty of care has gone astray yes. in terms of Susan being here at all. Susan can't stop giggling. And when we say she can't stop giggling, we don't mean like we can't stop giggling, which is quite something in itself. True. We mean she is constantly laughing hysterically for no reason and not saying anything. Yeah, she's she's not well. Like, yes, yeah. Uh, and then there's Anne, uh, and she just looks embarrassed. Um, and uh, so you know, basically neither of them look like they're going to promise a good time. Mm. And Nicholas vows revenge on Olivia, but not in Jessica way. So don't worry. <laughs> Speaking of Jessica, cut to the Casatel Wakefield. Where she's reveling in her triumph. Yeah, so we're kind of cutting to Jessica like right after having made that phone call to Todd. Um, so she's delighted with how easily and well her plan went that she hasn't wrapped around her finger. Uh, so she just has to convince him now that he's been dating the wrong twin all along and it wouldn't be very <gasps> cool, apparently. And she does kind of start to get a little upset and think, oh, don't be mad mm. at Sam. I'm, I'm not really interested in Todd. I just want to make Elizabeth jealous. I just want to hurt her the way she hurt us. And like knowing Sam like we did, I feel like he'd be looking at her going, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Sam was never really like a fan of Jessica's mad schemes. Like, Oh, not at all. No. Uh, but yeah, she's just kind of uh, justifying this as saying, you know, I just want to take Todd away from her the way she took you from me. And she's wailing out loud. And that's kind of our little cut to Jessica because now we're jumping again because just, oh my God, I'm dizzy with all the cuts. <laughs> oh, we jump to a nail salon where Amy is bored. It's called The Turn of the Nail. And I don't know if this might be a pun on the turn of the screw, but it's that's quite what I thought. laboured. It's kind of tenuous, isn't it? It's like yeah. I nearly take the nail shop over something as laboured as this, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they've gone for well this is maybe that's why they go for the simple names because when they try to do pun names it just doesn't work yeah. um but uh yeah nyla's nyla's nails were told have been transformed into elegant daggers Ooh. but um amy asks lila if she's noticed jessica being just a bit weird like just too cheerful for the mm. circumstances but lila hasn't and she's sure that her bff would confide in her if something was up and amy's like oh, maybe but she's not convinced no and then we cut to Cleveland, where Georgie understandably won't leave his room. And Margaret tries to coax her. And we're told that she could, you know, sound like an angel when she wants. And I'm sorry, how she manifests this is sort of saying in a sing-song voice, Why not, sweetheart? Why won't you come out and play with me? And that is incredibly creepy. Like, a child would think that was creepy. <laughs> you would think so, but uh, yeah, poor Georgie. Uh, she manages to kind of talk him around and just sort of sweet talks him out of the room uh, because she's kind of, yeah, coaxing him out with like a promise of a picnic and all the kind of nice... Cl- uh, uh, what am I trying to say food that he wants yes, <laughs> cookies, cookies and chocolate milk and ice cream and peanut butter sandwiches and all this good stuff Um, so she kind of realises he's coming round and he might actually come outside but uh, of course unfortunately for Georgie when he does uh, come outside thinking that Margot was going to be nice to him now it was all a trick of course Yes, because she wants to find the key to the safe mm-hmm. behind the family portrait in the living room where apparently Mrs. Smith hid the jewels. And jo- Georgie does know where it is, but his mommy made him promise not to tell anybody. And uh, you get another snake reference where Margot Margo smiles at the door as the snake might have smiled at Eve. 
Indeed, she's really in it now with the snake references. Yeah. This is her thing now, whether she wants it or not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she she finally lures Georgie out with the promise of yet more cookies and a picnic by the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gives in and she thinks he really is too stupid to live, she thought, as Georgie Ooh. led the way to the place where the key was hidden. Too stupid to live. Oh, no. <gasps> So we cut to Fowler Crest where Lila gets a message saying her dad will be home late. So she's going to meet them at the at the hotel. And she's all nervous as she gets dressed. Um, but she thinks it doesn't matter that her dad didn't have time for her because now she'll have grace. And she heads off in triumph, uh, imagining a joyful, tearful reunion. But a motorbike nearly hits her as she leaves the gates. And uh, Lila shouts, you lunatic, what's the matter? Don't you think your date will wait? And if only... <laughs> Well, this is the thing, because now that we're not only cutting in a frenzy from one thing to the other, we're also having to link them up for absolutely no reason. Because, of course, the rider of the motorbike is Jackie on her way to Nicholas's house for their date for hunks. Yes, and Nicholas, the again, the giant square, he's pleading, let her not turn up in black. Let her not, let her have on a white blouse or something. Let her wear shoes instead of work boots. I have in my house copies of... American Vogue from 1993 that I bought when I was a teenager and there are people wearing docks in them like yeah like it was the Perry Ellis grunge collection year like (laughs) or or, you know or era like how is he so fucking square it's so weird but like this is like when Lila put purple streaks in her hair all over again it's like everybody fucking shat themselves at the sight of a bit of purple hair and Nicholas is exactly the same here now it's like oh my god she's dressed all in black I can't possibly take her to a nice restaurant like he's such an asshole he's like he didn't like apparently he would usually buy flowers when he's going on a date didn't for this girl because he didn't think they'd have any Venus fly traps Mm -hmm. Uh, decided to dress casual yeah because there's no way he could take her to a fancy restaurant as you say like why because she's wearing boots and has a tattoo like lads please chill out uh (laughs) And yeah, he he reckons the maitre d' would think they'd come to rob the place. Um, so like, yeah, he 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 reckons he's worn something casual uh, by uh-huh. wearing like a long sleeve t-shirt instead of a button down. But reckons he could never dress casual enough to look like he belonged with someone like Jackie. Where are you going to take her? He asked his reflection. The cemetery. Like, dude, seriously. Like, the sight of a person in a black dress has clearly just sent him spiraling. And it's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And he hopes she's uh, stood him up and, she, you know, and she doesn't want to go out with him either. But then she rem- he remembers her saying she's looking forward to their date because she'd never been with- out with somebody who wore suits before. Who the fuck has at 18? <laughs> Presuming they're the same age, then like, yeah. yeah. Like Nicholas is so weird anyway, going off to his fucking strange job in his dance factory or fucking company with his little <laughs> attache briefcase. Like, what are you doing? Either just go to college or get a proper job. Like, what is he doing all day as like a gap year in there talking about having clients like he's been given some fucking crayons to play with in his dad's (laughs) office like get out of here Nicholas well he just has a wardrobe of suits um, (laughs) and and apparently in Sweet Valley uh, you know it's uh, it's crazy that somebody has never got out with a suit wearing boy before yep but um yeah, she likes to break the rules, so that's why she doesn't think a boy should always have to pick up the girl. And uh, we're told Nicholas didn't like breaking the rules. Uh, oh, depends what those rules are, <laughs> Nicholas. The rules of you know, no means no. It's a bit much <laughs> well, those rules don't apply, obviously. <laughs> okay. And then 
Jackie makes her debut. Oh my god. Jackie's a fucking badass, okay? Because she comes tearing up the driveway and does a fucking wheelie on her motorbike. Across the lawn! I kind of love her. It's like she's just fucking with him at this stage and they haven't even gone out yet. And he's like, oh, she's doing a wheelie on the lawn. As my now say, Herman, my pills. <laughs> oh, my God. An absolute Herman, my pills moment from old Nicholas there. <laughs> and Shirley would love him. Oh, my God. They would get on like a house on fire, truly. So Jackie takes up her helmet and says uh, she's got a great night planned. We're going to have a blast. And <laughs> Nicholas just complies got some yeah. bike and that i have to say i did kind of find this image hilarious because again we're doing a kind of a richard Linklater slacker thing where people are walking out of one scene and in the background of another mm. um because we cut to bruce who thinks that wasn't nick morrow was it bruce batman asked himself as someone with his friend's clothes and general build waved forlornly <laughs> from the back of a passing motorcycle <laughs> i'm trying to picture like a forlorn wave as you zip by on the back of a bike and it's it's a hard thing to pull off so you know what fair play to Nicholas for conveying that in what could only have been like a half a second of visibility (laughs) (laughs) though since when is he Bruce's friend oh I yeah friend is probably a stretch because they were like Mm. or he was like I suppose Nicholas was acting like Bruce was his friend in the last book but Bruce was just like oh my god get me away from this guy which you know understandable (laughs) yeah not the first or last person to think that Mm. But um, anyway, Bruce uh, puts thoughts of Nicholas out of his mind because he can't believe he worked himself, got himself so worked up over a girl. And this is gross, especially a girl like Pamela, he reminded himself, a girl with no self-respect. I wish I could just say, do you know what? She was banging her way through Big Misa and she had a brilliant time doing and like, it. Yeah, so. so what if she did? It's not like Bruce has been fucking keeping himself for fucking marriage. He's been yeah. sorting it up all over Sweet Valley High for the last 90 odd books. So he can feck off now with that attitude. Yeah. And the idea that if she had been like, it means, oh, she's got no self-respect. Ugh, like, yeah. Maybe she was having a blast. But exactly. Anyway. Yeah. He's like, but maybe it can't be true because she's so nice. And that couldn't possibly, she couldn't be nice if she, you know, she couldn't be kind if she'd been shagging up a big Mesa football team. You can only be kind if you're a virgin, obviously. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, his mind's been in word all week and he'd bought a rose, but then he tosses it out the window from his car. And then he sees Stephen pass him. See, they, they keep doing this. Oh, and then we're told he'd heard from Maria Santini that Mr. Wakefield was trying to keep his son away from Sweet Valley for a while. Do mm. they mean Maria Santelli? They do. stand for this slander. Yeah, no, they called her Mar- Maria Santini earlier on in the book as well. It was like Maria Santini and Bill Chase. And it was like, wow, the disrespect for Maria Santelli. What oh. is this about? So it is just a constant typo in this book for some reason. <laughs> Anti, uh, anyone who isn't a wasp, I think mm. we should be, we shouldn't be surprised. True. Uh, I guess if they're going to retcon Olivia into being Nicholas's best friend, all bets are off. We can't expect anything <laughs> to change. It's all written in shifting sands. There we go. <laughs> so basically, this scene uh, can sum up in two lines. Cut to Stephen, who's defying Ned to come home. He thinks Ned is worried that Stephen will fight with a hotshot lawyer, that he's 
Mm. He's hired and he's so distracted um, that he nearly doesn't break in time when a girl walks out at a crossing against the lights. And who could that girl be? Well, it's Pamela, because seriously, I'm getting fucking dizzy with all this zipping over. Like, <laughs> it's actually ridiculous because these scenes are so short. And then it's like, oh, a girl walks out on the pavement. Pamela was breathing heavily when she almost stepped out in front of the car. Like, oh, seriously, is this necessary? Like, we could have just gone straight to the scene with Pamela and Bruce meeting up. But no, uh, we have to do it this convoluted way. So, Yes, it is Pamela uh, walking to the box tree. She's running a little bit late and she's kind of worried because she was uh, like, she wasn't even sure he was going to agree to meet her. Uh, but she has to convince him uh, of the truth. So <gasps> she's uh, she's really kind of freaking out. But like, at least there is kind of a, a concession about the fact that she's worried about this. And she's like, yeah, Bruce might think he knew her reputation, but she also knew his. Love him and yeah. leave him, Patman. Mr. Big Man with the big ego and no heart. So at least there is a bit of a back and forth here in that, yeah, people obviously know what he's like too. So it's not like he's got the most fucking sterling reputation either. So yeah, you can fucking true. calm down. <laughs> well, then we get Pavel's backstory, which also, they are getting so sloppy in this book. So we're told that that boy her, uh, that was in her life is called Jake Jacoby. But were we not told in the last book that the guy who had turned up was called Bobby? Oh, oh, I can't remember. Honestly, there's so many names the flying around. The one who turned up at the end of the book. I, I just don't think it was Jake Jacoby. But anyway, apparently they dated last year and he and she was convinced that he was in love uh, with uh, with her and uh, or she was convinced that she was in love with him mm. and he said he was in love with her too and they should go all the way mm-hmm. um, but she said no and, and he threw her out of his car and never spoke to her again but he spoke to everyone else though and told his friends that she was easy as far as Pamela knew he'd probably show complete strangers as well so suddenly she's the most popular girl in Big Mesa popular boys ask her out but only once and when they realise that she won't you know service them they drop her like a hot potato mm-hmm. they keep the rumours going yeah, this is the thing. It's such a horrible uh, yeah. setup, like because this is the thing. They all keep the rumors going because they all no none of these guys wants anyone to think that they're the only one that couldn't score with Pamela. So they all lie, and this thing just keeps snowballing. So eventually, even Pamela's friends start to wonder about her and go, "Oh, you know, there's no smoke without fire," and it's her word against theirs, and a lot more of them. But it's obviously just these lads all being fucking terrible, uh, realizing yeah. that she's actually not interested in having sex with them and then going oh yeah we totally had sex because they don't want to be the only one like who didn't get to ride her so it's yeah. really gross uh from big mesa it but, is uh, but this is where this kind of reputation has come from so it's all mm. bullshit um but again as you say even if it wasn't like who fucking cares exactly um, considering the fucking carry on of jessica wakefield but she's still Uh-oh. a fucking angel apparently like <laughs> but um yeah it's really bad and then actually we get to the point where they explain that she had gone out with jake that night so this is the, the night before Bruce finds yeah. her like on the doorstep. Uh, so she'd gone out that night with Jake to make him stop the gossip and to beg him to do something to restore her reputation. But he just laughs at her and apparently said, what do you think I'm going to do? Make a public apology. Uh, so he's like, oh, you know, nobody would even believe that anyway, that, you know, a girl who was in love with me would only let me kiss her. So then he says, I'll do something for your reputation. He had told her, I'll keep you here all night and ruin it once and for all. So he oh. obviously held her fucking hostage uh, so that he could then drop her back the following morning so everybody or whoever would see would think that, yeah, this is the kind of girl that she is. So it was all bullshit, basically. And there's there was like she hasn't done anything to deserve any of this kind of treatment or reputation. And uh, she just really hopes that Bruce will believe her side Mm. of the story because apparently she has some big, exciting news to share with them as well. We'll be cut to Todd. (laughs) (laughs) 
I returned. Dad wasn't sure how he'd gotten himself into this situation, going to a movie with Jessica when he was missing Elizabeth so much. He's just baffled by the whole thing. I was like, I'm fucking baffled by you, Todd, because this is ridiculous. Honestly, Prince Albert has more cop on. Like, Todd is just like, how oh, is this happening? Like, because you suggested it and keep going along with these things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's like, at least he hasn't let Jessica talk him into meeting her at the Wakefield house. And somehow he thinks this will help him get back in touch with Liz which mm-hmm. he could just do by calling her but anyway <laughs> he's like oh I'm talking to her soon I'll be talking to Elizabeth and he wonders have you ever met this bitch <laughs> he wonders if Jessica is scheming to get him to see Liz and when he arrives at the you know, the cinema he's somehow quickly convinces himself that actually you know it's all a ruse and he's going to turn up and it's going to be Liz instead uh, and he's weak with joy when he arrives because he thinks it is Liz but then of course it's Jessica a horrible surprise that would be. <laughs> Once again, he's disappointed to find that it's actually Jessica. <laughs> well, I mean, we can skip through the next scene because we just cut to downtown Sweet Valley where Liz is out reluctantly shopping with Alice and she sees Todd drive by. Because again, they're all just zipping in and out, out of each other's <laughs> scenes and realises it's Friday night and she's, he's probably out on a date. And then she sees a red rose on a car, which was clearly the one that Bruce tossed out of his own vehicle <laughs> earlier. And she starts crying. Oh, God. <laughs> and then we cut to Margot. She's Hooray. on the move. Oh, thank God. Yes, she is on her way out of Ohio. Um, She's got this little treasure box with her. Apparently, it's the only thing that she has from when she was really little. Uh, and she likes to think it was a present from her real mother because it seems like the type of thing a mother would give to her little girl. Um, So, yeah, she kind of keeps all her prized possessions in there. And it's like, this is more stuff than I feel like anybody would have uh, from their childhood. Yes. Because she's got like a small pink rattle that she had as a baby, a bracelet made of glass beads she'd been given for her sixth birthday, a lovely like silk ribbon that someone let her have oh she's going to fit right into Sweet Valley with this silk that's her that's her ticket into this place uh, <laughs> so yeah fancy ribbon uh, but now all, all her childhood treasures are joined uh, by Mrs Smith's Victorian jewellery so she uh, also found enough money in the safe apparently to get herself a bus ticket to California so she's decided she's going to pawn the jewels in California because nobody will be looking for her there uh, and then we get a little recap as to what poor Georgie's fate was which yes. I think we can kind of skim over because yes they went for a picnic in the park and things went sideways pretty quickly she drowned for poor Georgie she drowned him yeah that poor kid um but yeah it's yeah it kind of goes into like a bit of unnecessary detail to be honest yes. but basically poor Georgie uh is donezo and Margot's on the bus and uh yeah having a great time delighted to be en route to California finally and the voice is back it shouts <laughs> We're on our way. We're finally on our way. <laughs> and then Cal- Marco says, Softly, California, here I come. <laughs> um, and uh, then she thinks of her murder and sings an evil nursery rhyme. She, in a whisper, can you imagine the poor uh, unfortunate she's next to her on the bus? Because she whispers, Georgie Porgy, putting a pie, ate too many cookies and had to die. I mean, you can make it scan a bit better, Margot. I know, put the effort in, Margot, come on. Put that snake brain to use. <laughs> <laughs> I guess musical music isn't a snake's uh, forte. Fair, yeah, okay. <laughs> 
Well, we cut back to Sweet Valley, California itself, and it's date night for Nicholas because he's at Club Mud. Oh my God. Yes, Jackie has brought him to a biker bar. Uh, Hilarious. Oh, and now she's committed that extreme Sweet Valley faux pas of putting a purple streak in her hair. So you know she's bad news. (laughs) Well, that's... Oh God. (laughs) She's also painted a small and very unattractive lizard in the middle of her forehead. I mean, uh, that doesn't sound great. That does sound a bit odd. I was with you to a point, Jackie, but you've kind of lost me there. (laughs) Well, because Nicholas has never been in any sort of... uh, any sort of venue before. Mm-hmm. It's so noisy he can't hear himself think. And uh, the the band who are on stage screaming and banging their instruments look as if they just got out of jail. Uh, however, uh, Nicholas in his ensemble, which sounds just not... I don't know how to describe it, but I guess I you'll mean, save it to the end. Does not go together. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but anyway, he doesn't fit in. Her pals are all sort of hitting each other and surely... Nicholas is shocked by this, but surely he is familiar as a Sweet Valiant with the playful punch. I mean, this is the thing, because maybe it's just that it's not a playful punch and that's why he's confused. Because it's like, apparently Jackie doesn't notice everyone staring at Nicholas uh, on his entry to the bar because she's too busy punching people in the arm and being punched back, which sounds like they're like punching her in the face. Like, it's very weird. But, See, but um, I thought that suggested it was playful punches because they seem exactly. to be just friends. Yeah, it's just weird and kind of funny. But like, yeah, I presume that's what's happening. <laughs> but like, he also makes some comment about how the dance floor is like, it's people pretending to fight. I think he's trying desperately to describe a mosh pit. I was going like, to say. It's so silly, but it's like, yeah, he kind of makes it sound like these people say hello to each other by beating each other up. And it's like, no, dude, if you've ever actually met a metaler in real life, they are the soundest, most gentle people <laughs> in the world. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> they are not scary. No. <laughs> well, um, Jackie demands that he get her a beer and he goes to the bar and says, what beer and what mineral water? I mean, he's 18, so is this underage in California? But everyone laughs at him for being a nerd and I'm with them because honestly, fuck that guy. <laughs> Normally, I wouldn't be laughing at people who do not order booze, but because it's Nicholas. No, it's because it's Nicholas completely. <laughs> yeah. They just say, in a place where you could have landed a helicopter without anyone hearing, everyone at the bar managed to hear him say mineral water. And they're like, why do you think this is a health club? They say, where'd you find Mr. Suburbs? Brilliant. And uh, <laughs> Jackie says he's getting a taste of real life. And Nicholas is like, real life is close to real death. So he's a tap water. Jackie goes off playfully punching her pals. <laughs> so uh, he escapes and rings his BFF. Yeah, Olivia to the rescue. Uh, he's ringing on the payphone in distress, saying, come get, come get me in your car, please. Uh, and Olivia kind of strings him along a little bit and says, oh, I can't possibly. My hair is a mess and whatever. And he's just like, Olivia, please come save me. So she's like, she's on her way. Olivia, you don't have to do that. (laughs) We cut to the box tree where Bruce awaits Pamela and we're told that he'd suffered enough when Regina died. He didn't want to suffer again. But so he won't let Pamela hurt him. But when he appears at the door of the box tree, he realises how fickle and unreliable the human heart is. (laughs) Well, this is it, because as soon as he sees her, all these doubts fly out the window because she looks so amazing. His heart leaps. Uh, So he gets all nervous and it's actually great. 
I hate to say it, but it's kind of endearing because he's very mm. clumsy and nervous and he kind of knocks yeah. over his glass when she walks in and then she tries to help him. He like bumps his head on the table because he's kind of, her perfume is making him dizzy because he just likes her so much. Uh, he ends up cutting himself trying to pick up the broken glass and he's just yeah. like, he just keeps kind of bumping into things and injuring himself. And I do hate how kind of cute it is. It is cute. <laughs> yeah. Even though he thinks... He's just never like this. Like he's never flustered ever. He's always yes. such an arrogant dick that it's just kind of a nice change of pace that he's just kind of on the back foot. It just never happens. It is endearing. Um, uh, so yes, he thinks Pamela looks like an angel. Uh, so I, I find it do find it quite creepy that we he keeps thinking of her as like an angel. Mm. But um, she starts to say that like she's had a nightmarish year of being Mason this year, but she can free from herself from it. And she's about to to explain all when a voice goes, well, well, what have we here? Bruce Patman and her own lovely Pamela. And it's a big mace of thugs. <gasps> Goons, even. Goons! <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce recognises, I think, some of them as like guys from that big fight on the football pitch. Um, he's like, big mace of morons. If someone gave them a brain, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Uh, so the guys kind of taunt Bruce saying, oh, you're so desperate. You have to scrape the bottom of our barrel now. Um Ooh. And yeah, they kind of just trade barbs basically yeah. over the, the table uh, and go on like this. But then one of the guys gets really creepy with Pamela and he's like, oh, she's being real nice to you. And he kind of turns to Pamela and like touches the scarf that's in her hair. Yeah. And um, she kind of, oh, it's Jake actually, isn't it? It so is. It's, it's Jake that awful guy. <laughs> that's this fucker. So yeah, he's like, oh, I hope you're being real nice to Bruce Pammy. He's a big shot, don't you know? And she kind of like shoves his hand away and it does kind of annoy Bruce. And when he sees this guy kind of like touching Pamela, it kind of, yeah. it, it sets him off and he's like, right, if these jokers want trouble, then I'm just the guy to give it to them. <laughs> so he's like, let's take it outside. Mm. Um, and Pamela's eyes are shining with fear. She's like, there's three of them, Bruce. You can't take them on. And the big maser boys are like oh she's listen to your girlfriend she's not worth fighting over and then wings and goes believe me i'll know and then there's or i know i think there's kind of an awful bit where bruce is like oh shit she's such a slapper wherever i go there's gonna be boys like insulting her and like oh this is no matter how he felt for her this was how it would always be so he just throws some money on the table for the bill and runs away oh and Pamela slaps Jake in the face and says, you liar, Mm. uh, you ugly, despicable liar. But Bruce doesn't turn around. So we cut to the Castletel Wakefield and Stephen arrives home and no one is there. So he hopes, okay, they're all out. Well, they're all out doing stuff. That's Mm. good, isn't it? But then Ned arrives with a stranger, Alan Rose. My goodness. Yes, apparently this is the hotshot lawyer, uh, Stephen realises. So uh, yeah, he's apparently he's tall and stocky, whereas I would have thought those were two different things. Um, He's wearing an expensive suit and silver rimmed glasses, but apparently he looks really bored and kind of over it uh, this whole time. So he has like no enthusiasm to meet Stephen. So clearly this guy is no good. (laughs) But um, he apparently has one of the finest legal reputations in California. Um, So yeah, Ned kind of introduces him to Stephen and yeah this guy he's kind of short with everybody so he's meant to be this kind of asshole lawyer guy even though to be fair he is just approaching this as like I guess any normal lawyer would yes (laughs) and not like this is a special Wakefield exactly this is the thing he's not treating them like they're special and that's why they don't like him (laughs) yeah so uh, he's all like well time is money time is money and Stephen doesn't like that Um, but Ned is like why don't you go make some tea Stephen so he does he goes off but then Alice and Liz arrive home and he's shocked by just how sick 
mm. Liz looks like. Yeah. Um, but rather sweetly, I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, when she sees Stephen is there, she, she, um, her expression turns into pure joy and she Aww. throws herself into his arms because he is really the only person who's acting like a grown up around her. That's true. Yeah. And she's really glad to see him. And it is it is sweet. Like, um, but then again, you go, so why was Ned trying to keep him away? Like, Because no. clearly Liz is delighted to see her brother. Like, so what was the fucking game plan there, Ned? Honestly. Well, uh, the joy doesn't last long because basically Rose says, look, if you don't remember anything for your defense, you do not have one. Like, um, hmm. And uh, Stephen is like, oh, he's so slick and insincere. But like, he isn't wrong because Rose, he goes through the facts. Look, you were drunk. We know you were drunk. You can't explain why. And look, I think you should plead guilty. And you probably, because no good, no previous record. And, hmm. you know, you've always been a model student. You've literally never gone into trouble in your life. You've got six months in juvenile uh, detention. Yeah. And Ned's like, that's not good enough. I want to be acquitted. And he said, well, look, you don't have a defense. And yeah. says... It's going to be hard to convince a judge Elizabeth is innocent when Elizabeth isn't even sure herself. But Ned is going to take the case. <laughs> so ridiculous. But also, I don't understand why none of these adults have come to the conclusion that, hey, maybe her drink was spiked. That would yes. explain her being drunk and not knowing why or uh, not having any realisation as to why. It's like, how has none of these fucking idiots come to that conclusion yet? It's really strange. It's ridiculous I keep thinking it it's like why isn't he saying so yeah you didn't drink um, and they do acknowledge later like everybody knows you drank from the punch bowl so like, mm. why has nobody suggested did you leave your drinks unattended that's like just you know. there's no one drawing like any connections here and it's really annoying especially when the adults and even the cops were like how are these bozos not going you know what maybe <laughs> your drink was spiked it's like if she's insisting she doesn't drink everyone around her is insisting that's completely out of character for her and yet she was drunk, drunk. and you know it, it has been proven that she was but she's insisting no she never drinks and like that's the most obvious fucking conclusion oh, to this God, it's so annoying <laughs> it's very frustrating <laughs> well speaking of frustrating we we cut to the Beverly Hills Hotel and Lila uh, is looking around, wondering if she'll be able to recognise Grace. But then she sees someone who looks, except for her ash blonde hair and porcelain skin, she looks so much more like Lila that Lila was sure she would have recognised her even if they'd met on the street. And her boyfriend, Pierre, who has probably accompanied her, is nowhere to be seen. And Lila's heart skips a beat when they approach her. And I have to say, like, I know we find out that there are reasons that Grace left hmm. we will find yeah. this out in future books however she handles all of this appallingly oh my god like so badly like even the fact that Pierre is here when they're what? meeting for the first time I, I know like it's very very strange I do not know why they've done this way again the adults just not being able to be adults it's crazy because yeah. yeah she just shakes her hand and is like well you know nice to see you and George is like it's been a while and she smiles at Lila and says it's much too long but Lila Lila is is overcome with emotion and mm. she has the photo in her pocket and she just can't wait to you know she keep, she's all day she's been imagining what will happen when she gives it to her and um Lila, uh, or sorry, Grace asks what Lila knows about her. And Lila's like, well, nothing. And Grace does say, look, I want to tell you everything you want to need to know about me, why I left you. I haven't been in touch. It won't be easy, but I, um, but, you know, I, I want, basically, I want us to, to hmm. reconcile. But yeah. she doesn't know what, uh, what that means. Because at that moment, a loud, almost theatrical voice <laughs> 
<laughs> interrupted her. It was a voice out of a comedy set in France. So, hello, hello. <laughs> Dali! <laughs> Darling, here you are, buried away in the corner. I told the waiter there must be a mistake. Miss Rinaldi, Miss Rinaldi, could possibly be at the corner table. It is like putting a big vase in the cupboard, but no, he insisted. And for a change, the waiter was right. <laughs> yes, comedy Frenchman Pierre is here, everybody. <laughs> yes! Yes, he, he thumps himself on the chest. Oh no, oh first he says, It is the Fowlers. I would know you anywhere. You are so American, so perfectly American. And then he thumps himself on the chest and says, And I, I am Pierre Bion, Grace's lover. <laughs> that is hilarious, to be fair. <laughs> Grace's lover. Like, dude, calm down. She's meeting her daughter for the first time. <laughs> Well, no. And now, I have to say, I've seen the best looking man I've seen in my entire life in Paris. Every visit. Pierre is, <laughs> I don't know, is like what stereotype this is. But this, <laughs> can you describe him, please? I mean, I can try. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, apparently Pierre is about the same age as George Fowler, um, but he's wispy and frail looking. <laughs> he's wearing a pink suit and his longish dark hair is tied in a very small ponytail. He either had a dab of shaving cream on his earlobe or was wearing a small white pearl earring. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what stereotype this is supposed to be because he sounds like a coke dealer from Miami Vice. I'm just like, what's the reference here? Does it not sound like a stereotypical Frenchman? Where's the stripy top? I mean, yeah. where's the beret? Come on. Or even like an open neck shirt and like a mm. mane of, of leonine hair. No, yeah. he's like you say, he's like a Miami Vice coke dealer. But Very he, strange. He, mm. he does kiss Lila on both cheeks. Mm, true. <laughs> and Grace talks about him like he's a dog. <laughs> like travel makes him very excited. God. Yeah, Grace is kind of embarrassed uh, when he turns up. Or like Lila kind of wonders, is that, does she sound embarrassed? Am I imagining that? Uh, because yeah, he comes in and makes his whole production out of his introduction. And it's very cringy. He does a little bow and everything. Like it's a whole thing. Uh, and also terrible timing because like literally Lila and Grace were about to have a conversation. And now this fucking comedy man is here so he kind of kills the vibe somewhat <laughs> well uh, yeah she realises she won't be showing the photo to Grace tonight yeah so we cut the we cut the to the bus and now it's talking oh yeah <laughs> everything talks around Marco <laughs> I don't know how does a bus talk because we've got the wheels are talking to her hmm they're saying soon soon Marco soon 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 yep yeah. The wheels on the bus go soon, soon, soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, she looks at the houses as they pass by and she fantasizes about living in a perfect house with a real mother and I shall paint her room orange like a pumpkin. She is like Jessica, seriously. True. Um, and she, uh, she'll have her treasure box and her mother will, you know, say how great she is and she'll be so popular and... Uh, 
she's uh, she 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 just imagines this perfect existence. But hmm. you know, she's tired, and in fairness, it's been a long day because she's you know done a robbery, killed a child, and got <laughs> it's a bus. busy busy day of thieving and murdering. Like it takes it out of you. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, she she drifts off back to sleep with a happy smile on her face, remembering the moment of the murder. So, oh my God. Jessica is perfectly capable of killing a child to get what she wants. You know, it's true. Yeah, I would believe that of her. So we cut back to Sweet Valley. Speaking of Jessica, we're taught is relieved the film is over because uh, he was just thinking of Liz who out, and him and Jessica were the only people who were laughing. And uh, he keeps looking uneasily at her because apparently she kept basically trying to like sidle over to him during the movie. Oh god, it sounds so awkward. She kept yeah leaning oh. towards him and it made him really uncomfortable. So he kept edging away. So it's like <laughs> at one point apparently she reached for his hand, but he was holding the popcorn. Like it all just sounds very awkward and uncomfortable and a pretty fucking rough hour and a half, I would say, to get oh. through. But um yeah, so he kind of presumes that she was miserable as well during this whole thing, and he's like, Oh, maybe this wasn't a good idea. But Jess is like, Oh no, I really liked it. It was really funny and <gasps> it's such a good time. But uh but he notices that there's tears in her eyes because she is <gasps> nothing if not an actress and putting on a performance. Mm-hmm. So Todd kind of thinks, you know, what a jerk he is and how insensitive he was thinking about himself. Whereas poor Jessica's having an even tougher time. He's like, you know, I miss Liz so much, but at least she's still alive. I can always hope like that we might work things out. But Jessica can't. You can just rigor. You can just rigor, Todd. That's what you can do. I know. Like this is so easily solved. And yet, uh, yeah, he's like, I can still dream. It's like you can pick up a fucking phone and put a quarter into it and ring her, you dickhead. But uh, but yeah, he realizes that Jessica can never reconcile with Sam because he's gone forever and nothing's going to change that. So he offers to take her home he does and he impulsively takes her hand the fucking idiot we're told he never felt very close to jessica before no because you saw through her but now he's feeling brotherly towards her and she like takes his hand uh tightly and says whom she sounds frightened do we have to go home so soon and he was like i thought you were dying to get home you know you look kind of tired yeah and suddenly she her voice goes so low he has to lean closer to hear her and uh, she smells just like Elizabeth. And um, she says, oh, no, home doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Whenever I'm there, I just think about Sam. It's the first night I've been out of the house. And he's like, oh, shit. OK, let's do whatever you want. Oh, God. And he, she suggests a little walk on the beach. Hmm. Hmm. So he's like, fresh air will do you good. Let's go. <laughs> Keeping it breezy. Kind of failing. <laughs> Well, Amy and Caroline, of course, spy them and Amy is freaked out because she's like, uh, Sam's only been dead a few weeks and also he's her sister's boyfriend. But Caroline is just like, ha ha ha. Uh, no, it's um, those two are about as compatible as a mouse and a boa constrictor. Um, but Caroline says, look, the only reason that Todd isn't with Liz is because she's gone into hiding. Uh, says she'd feel can you who can blame her she would have felt humiliated to have an overdue library book can you imagine how she was feeling about killing her sister's boyfriend so Amy in fairness is genuinely freaked out by this mm. yeah Amy's the only one with any cop on actually as much as I hate to say it after mm-hmm. that shaky start earlier but she is the only person who seems to actually be noticing what's going on around her and that like Jessica's acting weird this is weird as well that now she's hanging out with Todd like she does seem to be the only one who's actually yeah paying attention and noticing that something's up yeah. So we cut to Guido's where Nicholas is hanging out with four of his BFFs, Olivia, <laughs> Hugh, and Edith. And they're like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I just feel so. Well, my note to say, 
where the fuck has all of this come from? Like, I'm just <laughs> enraged by it. But I was very amused that somebody asked Nicholas if he was a narc. Oh my God. Okay, that was hilarious. Yeah, because he's recapping his disastrous date to you and Enid. And yeah, apparently some guy came up to him uh, who, uh, yeah, asked him if he was a narc. And yeah, Olivia was like, well, he certainly couldn't have thought you were an undercover cop. She was like, I had no trouble finding Nick when I got there. He was the only one there without a tattoo. So, I mean, to be fair, it was a very reasonable question from anybody in that bar to ask Nick if he was in fact a <laughs> narc because of the state of <laughs> that would be explanation for being there yeah, true but uh, anyway the old joke about about this and Edith's glad that she got out of the house because she is really worried about Liz but so mm. this is distracting her um, so uh, they they tease Nicholas about his future dates and Livia's like well you know at least we'll get you out of the house and then Edith spots Todd and Jessica and says he's not the only one who's getting out and Olivia revealed she was worried about Liz avoiding her but she sort of figured things were all right because she had Jessica and Todd and you Edith and why would she assume things were okay with Jessica like when they're clearly avoiding each other in school and also she did just you know have an accident that killed Jessica's boyfriend yeah but it's funny it's like some people are weirdly like just oblivious to this very clear rift between the twins and they're just like oh you know clearly Liz and Jess are there for each other and it's like well they're absolutely not um but yeah for whatever reason she assumed that everything was fine between Liz and Jess and that yeah that Liz was all good with Todd too so yeah she kind of yeah had figured things were all right everyone knows how important the three of you have always been to her but uh but yeah Enid kind of reveals then that she's kind of been pushing Enid away because she's so Mm. unhappy um, but of course, that's because of Jessica's devious little setup with a fucking newspaper. <laughs> so Enid clearly hasn't been seeing very much of Liz either uh, mm. lately. So yeah, Jessica has kind of managed to really isolate Liz, I guess. And now yeah. she's uh, out and about with Todd. Top things off. She, she sure is, because we cut to the beach where we are told she has had a shit time mm. all night, but it's all part of her scheme. So they're on the beach and she had told Todd that this was her and Sam's special spot but actually that was further up the coast and there's no way she's going there with somebody else now so like she really is in pain but Mm. you know she's standing it in a typically psychotic way and Todd is like you know he was I really miss him like he was you know and they they did her and him and Todd or sorry him and Sam were properly friends by the Mm. end yeah and of course hearing his name sets Jessica off and she cries and Todd is sweet to her and she clings to him so she's getting all close and personal and Todd what the fuck Todd says I do know how you feel I really do I miss Liz so much I feel like I'm losing my mind why would you compare your self-imposed separation to her boyfriend being dead dead like this was really fucking stupid uh from Todd like even if Jess wasn't playing him it's like how can you say that to somebody like you it's just absolutely not the same situation at all yeah so uh, this sets Jessica off even more it's like oh he doesn't even care about me just thinking about Jess uh, and Liz but I will have my revenge and uh, he he holds her and says look I'm here with you now you're okay and she's like yes and here is where you're gonna stay <gasps> we cut to Pamela's boudoir where she's dramatically like flung all her clothes off on the way to her bed um and uh, she imagined staying there forever and it going sort of full sleeping beauty with, uh, with the house, uh, you know, being covered in undergrowth and hmm. children asking, who lives there? And the mothers would be like, I don't know, no one's here in years. <laughs> and then she'd have some peace. It's like, okay, drama queen, like steady on. You've literally known Bruce for a few weeks. Like, you do have some other problems, but 
<laughs> it's very dramatic. But yeah, the kind of the whole point of this scene is just for her to to reveal to the reader that uh, her big news that she never got a chance to tell Bruce about was that she's arranged for a transfer to Sweet Valley High because she's going to get away from her ruined reputation. So she was so sure she could straighten things out with Bruce. She was sure that he'd be delighted to hear this. But uh, but now she's like, oh, no, I'll just I'll just never leave the house again because he hates me. Yeah. I mean, I'd, obviously I feel in, sorry for her because what happened to her was terrible. But like, mm. we don't know this character. We've only seen her through Bruce's idealistic gaze so far. So, you know, you could have done some more work to establish her as a character rather than like a perfect angel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, her life's ruined. So we cut to the casa and Stephen hugs Liz goodnight and she puts on a brave face but in her room she despairs because, you know, she had let herself hope that her dad was right. She's a lawyer after all, that all would be well. But mm. now even this hotshot lawyer thinks she's up in juvie and she just wishes she could remember anything. Like, yeah. it's just, she just can't stand the nothingness. Mm. Yeah, that must be very frustrating in fairness. Yeah. So we cut to the bus where Margo was dreaming about being on a bus. Now, this goes on for ages. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> literally about three pages. But basically, the bus driver's like, Margo, stop. Time to get off. And a child, uh, uh, she, she's going out to see a perfect family who are waiting for her, her mother, her father, and her beautiful sister. And they're all waiting for her. But a child pulls her back and is dragging her down and is like, you can't go without me. And Margaret tries to fight him off. But the bus picks up speed. She wakes up and vows, I'm going to find my home and my family. No whiny little brat or anybody else is going to stop me. So we cut to the casa and Liz wakes up on a Saturday and she's just had a really bad night. It just sounds horrendous and she can't face the world. And then she she knows she looks awful, like she looks sick and she's mm. lost loads of weight and she she's just not well. And of course, fucking Alice. <laughs> what has happened to Alice? she's just gone full Stepford wife or something like she's there making pancakes and it's just like oh have you got something planned for you today you're up bright and early just like everything is fine she's like Alice sounds fully fucking demented here because she's just so deeply in denial she's talking like everything is totally fine when like things are clearly fucking terrible for everybody and even Liz is like what does she think I would have planned like a visit to the Sweet Valley Police Department to turn myself in and she's just like no I don't have anything planned um and like Alice is like oh you're looking very nice this morning and like again Liz is like how can she say that like because she knows she looks like shit like she's she looks haunted and ill apparently because she's so pale and she's got circles under her eyes and she just looks unwell and I suppose she hasn't even left the house so she doesn't even have yeah. her usual peaches and cream Wakefield tan <laughs> that she normally would but um but yeah like Alice is just weirdly banging on about fucking pancakes and how she's making apple and cinnamon ones and the whole family's here and isn't it great um but like yeah she's just really it, weird in this scene like it is really weird and like Liz snaps and is like look, please stop acting like everything's fine because it isn't. And Alice is like, we know you're innocent. That's what matters. It's like, it doesn't matter in a court of law, Alice. As you like, not, this is helpful at all. Like, she is just so strange. I don't understand Alice's thought process here at all. Well, she hugs Liz and then Jessica comes in and is like, oh, please don't let me interrupt this touching moment between a mother and daughter. She storms off and Alice is all like, what goes on in the head of hers? 
really wish I knew. It's like, well, have you tried talking to her or maybe asking her anything? Because it seems like all she's doing is running around fucking making pancakes and being weirdly bright in the mornings. And it's like, why aren't you dealing with anything? Like, why has no one suggested counselling yet? Oh, well, now speaking of mothers who need some counselling, we cut to the Beverly Hills Hotel. And Lila is woke because obviously Lila stayed there last night and she's mm. woken up by Grace and she's, you know, sort of leaps up and she's really nervous. But um, of course, Grace looks amazing as she comes in. She wants a little girl talk. And I'm I, I just, okay, <laughs> we neither of us have kids. Hmm. So who are we to judge people's parenting? But I feel very confident in judging oh. Grace's parenting. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is fucked up. This is so terrible. Like I, I'm actually shocked by how Grace carries on here. Like it is so poor from her. Like quite aside from the fact that she's brought her ridiculous boyfriend along to this like yeah. first meeting with her daughter in 14 years, uh, which is already like a tricky situation. And then she's got this fucking idiot turning up with his ponytail <laughs> and banging his chest and going about being her lover. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like her plan, she's got this like tray with coffees on it basically that she wants to like yeah have a like a little girl chat with Lila before they all go down for breakfast and Pierre fucking ruins everything again um so she's like come on let's sit in the bed and chat she's like we've so much to catch up on so Lila's like oh you start I want to hear all about what it's like living in France so Grace kind of bangs on about how amazing Paris is and she tells her all these colorful anecdotes and all the rest and she talks happily about her life in Paris and it's like fucking shops and cafes so weird it's all this surface level bullshit like but Lila is listening as if in a trance and I don't know is she impressed or what but because the whole time the Grace is babbling on Lila's just thinking how long is she staying when will I see her again like does she want me to go back to Paris with her is she ever going to come back and she kind of realises as Grace is talking that clearly her mother has a life in Paris and that this is just a visit and nothing more so she starts to wonder if this is just going to be like an every 14 years visit Um, and now starts to wonder if she can ever ask her these questions because she's now too scared of what the answer is going to be so eventually Grace stops talking about herself and her fucking shopping habits uh, and is like and what about you what about your life I'm like yeah dude no shit like this is your 16 year old daughter who hasn't seen you in 14 years and you just talked about colourful anecdotes for the last half an hour so <laughs> I am I was so shocked by that it was like, so stupid yeah. it was so inappropriate and weird that especially when we learn a second later because I was like oh I don't know well, I guess I'm just an ordinary teenager and Grace is like I know what happened with that boy and your counsellor was like you did okay well, why didn't you start out by saying hi you know Lila like you don't even have to say where you've been like why you haven't been around for the last few years but at least show some interest rather than mm. making this like inane small talk about fucking cafes oh it's like, really you- weird it's so bad yeah and Lila, God love her, is so desperate from any scrap of normal parenting from her mother that retold the tenderness and concern in her mother's voice nearly made Lila burst into tears. This was what she'd been wanting and needing. This was what she'd been missing. Her mother to talk to. Her mother to tell her everything was all right. And she's about to speak. And then Grace, just in case there was a possibility she might redeem herself, <laughs> takes a little phone call. Yeah, so the phone rings. Grace answers it and she's like, oh, Pierre, yes, of course I haven't forgotten about you. Yes, I know you're starving. Yes, darling, of course. I realise your system's upset. I'll be right down. So she kind of makes this like helpless face at Lila when she hangs up and is like, well, I'd better go. He's working himself up into a terrible state. We'll meet you in the dining room. We'll continue our talk later. And like, 
Jesus Christ, Grace, you don't start that conversation unless you're going to stick around for it. Like you don't bring up Lila's fucking trauma and then go, well, my boyfriend needs me. See ya. Fucking peace out of the room. Like, absolutely not. She's meant to be the adult here. And this is so shockingly terrible from her. I actually just wanted to boot her out the window myself. I hate her. I'm sorry. I know know we're going to find out why she Mm. stayed away for all those years. Yeah. Whatever. But now she's actually there being like, oh, no, my my weird coke dealing boyfriend is in a state. It's not even like he's fallen down the stairs. He's just being a little bitch and can't go down to breakfast by himself. So like, seriously, but the fact that she brought up this terrible thing that's happened to Lila that she apparently has known about the whole time, but just decided to bang on about cafes and fucking museums for half an hour instead. And then just bails on the conversation before they can even get into it. Like it just it's so shitty to bring up this terrible thing that's happened yep. and then be like right I'm off like you just you just can't do that I know it's appalling because then she goes we'll continue our talk later I really do want to hear about what's <laughs> happened and Lila understandably feels as though she'd been about to throw herself onto a soft mattress and instead had landed on a slab of concrete Grace wasn't really interested in her this is a completely redu- a reasonable assumption hmm. And she says, don't worry about it, she says coldly. She stood up. Grace stood up too. What do you mean, don't worry about it? I'm your mother. I care about you. I want you to know. I was like, you've literally just bailed on her because your fucking lover is having a tantrum somewhere. Why? Don't get to feign outrage. It's like, oh, what do you mean? It's so bad. And like, poor Lila, this is all totally understandable for her because she's just like, you know, where had a mother been for so long if she cared about her so much? And again, like, these are all questions that will have answers. But like from Lila's point of view, she's been abandoned by this woman and now she's here. She's fucking useless. So she's just like, look, you haven't been my mother for the last 14 years. What makes you think I want you now? So she's lashing out and she's really upset. It's perfectly understandable. Lila mm-hmm. is 16. Grace is meant to be the adult here and she really needs to fucking cop on because yeah, Lila, again, very understandably, is like, no, fuck this. She just like runs off into the room, into the bathroom crying because she doesn't want to cry in front of Grace. Because again, Grace is like, oh, but darling, if you wait a moment. And Lila's just like, darling, did she call everyone darling? Even the daughter she'd abandoned? Because she does call the boyfriend darling. Like, There's no Mm. kind of connection really between them. Uh, So she's just like, look, I don't want any explanations and just like slams the bathroom door. So she is just done with this bitch. And like, I get it. Yeah, me too. I don't blame you, Lila. Mm. Speaking of people I do blame, we cut to Sweet Valley, where Todd has tried to distract himself by shooting a little b-ball. Because um, apparently he's become totally helpless and has no mind of his own. Oh, we're told ever since last night when he'd inexplicably found himself with his arms around the twin of the girl he loved. He'd realised that somehow, in some way, he was headed for trouble. No shit, Todd. Jesus Christ. Oh my what God. fuck? Because something inside him was trying to warn him to keep his distance. <laughs> I mean, it should be your brain, Todd. But I don't Truly. Know what, what's MIA? Like Jiminy Cricket's just knocking around in there all on his own because <laughs> it is just an empty space. <laughs> so apparently Jessica keeps ringing. She's already left an answering machine. So that's why he's hiding outside. And the phone rings again and he literally thinks, should he risk it? And he thinks it's after four. Uh, so Jessica's usually in the mall at that time. And of <laughs> course, when he answers the phone, it's her sounding like she's been crying and saying, oh, it's Saturday and I hate Saturday because I'm a Sam's race day. And Todd's heart softens. And he's like, oh, I'm so selfish not to answer the phone earlier. It's like, Todd, can you not see through her? Call your girlfriend, please. 
But she said, like, I guess I had to get used to it. Everybody's out. But I guess they didn't, you know, Stephen and my mum, my dad. But I guess they didn't want me to go with them. And uh, apparently, again, I don't know if this person who wrote this book has read <laughs> any of the previous books. <laughs> because we know who Todd's friends are. They're Ken and Winston. <laughs> but apparently he's going over to Scott Trust's for a game of chess. <laughs> Like, let alone the fact that it's Scott Trust, but chess, I'm sorry, what? Is this code for watching porn? Like, what is this? Because I'm not having it at all. Well, Todd, the sap, is like, oh, don't worry, Jess, I'll meet you in town. We'll go for a walk. And he's like, oh, she's, I'm sure you're you're busy. You must have plans. And he says, nothing that can't be changed. Mm. We cut to the park. Stephen is insulting Prince Albert. <laughs> Poor Prince Albert. He's the only good person <laughs> slash character in this whole series. Um, but yeah, Prince Albert is being hilarious. They're in the park and he was chasing a squirrel until the squirrel raced up the nearest tree. Prince Albert, temporarily forgetting that he was a large dog and not a small squirrel, had followed. <laughs> now suddenly, oh. suddenly realising his mistake, he'd come to a stop, clinging to the trunk as he was slipping back down. Because above all else, Prince Albert is basically Scooby-Doo or some kind of <laughs> hilarious cartoon dog and he's the best. <laughs> he is a cartoon dog and we love him. <laughs> yeah. So Liz is amused and Stephen's really happy to see her laughing. Um, and he, she, you know, we never thought he'd see her laugh again. And then she's like, well, you know, basically... You're not the only one who thought that, but you should probably take a picture because I don't know when it'll happen again. And he actually gives her a good pep talk. He's like, look, you're not going to get over this. You'll just live with it. Hmm. It'll take a lot of time and nobody can do it, but you will get through it. And then says, look, we can prove your innocence. And Jess, Liz starts to feel a little bit less alone because she really feels Stephen is the only person who's, who's like got some <laughs> sort of plan. Um <laughs> And she points out, look, I can't remember it. So doesn't that mean I'm guilty? Like I'm blocking it out because of guilt. And he's like, no, blocking out a traumatic event is a very common thing. And also, again, this is another moment where I thought, how is nobody suggesting being the drinks are spiked? But he's like, mm. look, no one saw you drink anything but punch. But then he realizes something useful has come back to Liz. Yeah, so apparently when she was chatting to Alan Rose the other night, she had uh, mentioned lights in her eyes and like squealing brakes and shattering windows and all the broken glass and everything. But apparently this light in her eyes is a new detail that she hadn't mentioned before. Mm. Um, and Stephen had kind of picked up on this and he was like, yeah, but like this is something new. But she's like, yeah, but that's not anything. But he's like, no, Liz, it could be everything. So he explains that if she saw light in her eyes, it could have been because there was another car coming towards her. So this could be a new detail that might actually help mm. them even just figure something out or get some extra details about this, that if there's a car they can track down, there must have been somebody else on the road who could possibly explain what had happened or that there's a, there's basically a missing piece to this puzzle well, yeah there's, there's several but but just this is one that they at least have some kind of a grasp on that there's something to look for here and you know a, a line of inquiry to follow basically and like again this is more work than any of the fucking cops or ned or this alan rose oh guy have done so far <laughs> seriously like it's how have none of them even noticed this because she did say that in front mm. of the um in front of the uh, the, the the lawyer, mm. um, so there's no excuse for it. But no. I guess we shouldn't be excited <laughs> or surprised. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Words my, don't my mean anything anymore. <laughs> well, Liz does um, does accept that this could be useful, but she says, "Look, I can't feel too much 
you know, optimism because Jessica's still not talking to me. And Stephen is like, look, maybe she needs time to, you know, that she just needs to deal with this by herself. But before Liz can answer, she sees a shocking sight. Well, this is the thing, because they're like coming over the hill. Uh, she <gasps> spots none other than Jessica and Todd. What? Yes, it's the uh, it's the the outing that Todd had just suggested, and Elizabeth uh, has bitter tears in her <gasps> eyes, the most bitter tears yet, apparently. Oh my goodness! Um, and says she seems to have found someone to turn to. <gasps> and on that bombshell, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> We also have someone to turn to. <laughs> we do. Um, because, as you know, we are proud members of the Headstuff Podcast Network. And uh, every uh, episode, we like to share a new or uh, interesting show from the network with you. And this week, it's For Tech's Sake. Mm, excellent uh, podcast name, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so this is Elaine Brick and Jenny Darmody, who they've both been writing about tech for a very long time. So now they're talking about it in For Tech's Sake. It's a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. And you can have a little listen to it here now. Silicon Republic is a great place to read about science and technology from writers like us. And now you can hear what we really think on For Tech Sake, a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Elaine Burke. And I'm Jenny Darmody. And together we've been writing about tech for a long time. And we're often fascinated and infuriated by new developments. We've never fallen into the trap of being tech evangelists, but we don't necessarily want to demonise tech with scaremongering clickbait either. Now, we mostly take a side-eye view of tech and definitely throw a bit of shade when it's deserved. So if you want to hear us take a look under the hood of both emerging and everyday tech to examine the good parts, the bad parts and everything in between, check out For Tech's Sake on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We'll sort the tech for good from the tech for tech's sake, and each episode will also feature a tech expert to help answer our probing questions. Tune in and your new robot overlords will thank you for it. Now back to possibly Sweet Valley. We're never uh, it's never specified, but it's the location of Nicholas's second date. And it's Susan Jacks, because this ghostwriter is obsessed with uh, he's got a Jackie with two K's. Now he's got Jacks with an X. Um, <laughs> like, you know, shake it up a bit, ghostwriter. Um, so yeah, he's he's feeling optimistic. Yeah, he reckons, you know, you can't always go by first impressions and maybe she was just nervous in front of the cameras, which explains all those fucking delirious giggles that she kept uh, dissolving into uh, back in the studio. So he kind of reasons with himself that, look, she couldn't possibly be like that all the time. Uh, And she probably wasn't that bad. You know, at least she can't be as bad as Jackie. Uh, She looks like she goes out in daylight because, you know, having wearing black clothes and having (laughs) purple hair means you're a vampire. Um, so yeah, he he decides to have a positive attitude about this date and reckons if you expect the worst, you're going to get the worst. So think positive. Uh, so he rings the bell of Susan's gaff, but there's like no answer for ages. So he kind of starts, he's about to start walking around the side of the house to see if there's another entrance. And then she answers the door. Uh, Hello, she called, following that with a spurt of giggles. Did you want something? So Susan is a very strange girl. Susan um, is not... <laughs> Should not be going on on dates with strange men without like Susan is not capable of giving consent to anything that is happening in this uh, it being on hooks. No, I don't. (laughs) What what is the screening process for this show? (laughs) Because we have questions. Um, 
But yeah, she, yeah, he kind of reckons, oh, there's no wonder she's asking what he wants because it didn't look like she'd been inspecting him at all. So he kind of walks back and he's like, hey, uh, remember me? So he's like, okay, maybe she's just a bit shy. That's why she's still fucking giggling. So he introduces himself and she's like, yeah, of course I remember you. You're like water skiing. Um, but yeah, she's still she just giggling. Laughs constantly. Giggling constantly the it's whole terrifying. time. terrifying. Oh my God. So yeah, he re- he reckons that she's not ready to go. So he's like, oh, do you want to go get changed? And she's like, oh, I am ready to go. Uh, because her, her clothes are very underwhelming for Nicholas's taste. Mm. Um, so he reckons that they... At least they're consistent they... with her general vibe though. But well, we will... that is true. Yeah. I'm sure you'll describe them later. <laughs> yes, we will get into it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is kind of where this, uh, this little scene ends is her saying, oh, don't be silly. I am dressed for the date. So uh, yeah, basically this is going to be another disaster for Nicholas. Of course, because they head not to the expensive restaurant they had planned, but to Bobo's Burger Barn, the <laughs> only place that would allow Susan in in her flip-flops. And, um... <sighs> okay, Susan is delighted that they get crayons to mm-hmm. draw on the tablecloth and is like, look at this, and drawing a smiley face while laughing constantly. Oh, God, yeah. I, like, somebody please come and mind this woman <laughs> she's not okay <laughs> like so yeah she's like oh isn't it neat and again constantly giggling and Nicholas is like yeah it's very neat um so he's just wondering what the hell he's doing here but uh, she's like oh you know what else is isn't even the best part like drawing on the fucking things but uh yeah she explains that yeah when you leave they give you a balloon uh-huh. <laughs> What is happening? And then he's like, I want a tranquilizer. He's not worried about the fact that, like, is she... Like, is she capable of, you know... Does she know what's going on in this situation? (laughs) Um, And then she reveals, I come here with my boyfriend all the time. And Nicholas is like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, yes, he likes the chili. Apparently his name is Tampa. And then she says... My boyfriend once had a food fight here with the chili. It was really funny. Her boyfriend is either imaginary or like <laughs> eight. I, yeah, well, like <laughs> Tampa is uh, is a regular here. <laughs> <laughs> At Bobo's Burger Bar. Oh God! And. Yeah. Um, he asks her, uh, why did you go on hunks if you have a boyfriend? And she's like, well, I smiled back at him as though he'd asked why she'd put a coat on when it was cold. And she says, oh, you know, I just did it for fun. And Nicholas <laughs> says, oh, right. So this is fun. I was wondering what it was. Hmm. I mean, I'm wondering too. Yeah, it's a very strange date. It's, it's oh. all very weird. Well, I'm glad he's just taking her home. Um, hopefully she's living her own God I know Yeah, um, I'm worried about this girl (laughs) Me too She should not be going on hugs This is what we've learned No definitely not Well We cut To Margot She's on the bus So uh, She's staying on the bus From now on Wearing cheap dark glasses Because Georgie is now On the front page Of every paper in the country So she's keeping on her scarf And she's changing her route So she's uh, You know She's trying to Step one head Um you know be one step ahead hmm. of the authorities and um yeah the woman in front uh, she's asked her to go to the shop for her and uh, the woman comes back and gives her a newspaper and has got her a sandwich because they were doing a two-for-one deal Margo rudely rejects the sandwich because her dream mother will make all the sandwiches she wants yeah. um 
it's very weird. It's kind of her kind of take on it is that she doesn't need to take charity. It's kind of very like, oh, I'm self-reliant. I don't need this woman's pity. Uh, but it's very strange because she's starving and basically counting out pennies like to make yeah. sure she has enough to eat. Uh, like she's literally living off of like two candy bars and a bag of crisps like in the evening. And that's about it. Um because, Why is yeah, she turning down this sandwich? I don't get it. I don't get it. You can take a free sandwich, Margot. It's okay. We want you to do well. <laughs> but well, um, yeah, she kind of, she starts telling this woman that her mother is going to make her this big dinner when she gets home. And she's very careful about what she eats and just starts banging on about how, uh, you know, this is because, oh yeah, she's looking at the, the newspaper with the photo of Georgie on it. And she's mm. like, oh, it's because of my brother, my baby brother. He died very young because of something he ate. And the woman is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hope he didn't suffer much. And Margot's like, oh no. He hardly suffered at all because she's terrifying and I love her. <laughs> well, speaking of psychopaths, we come back to Sweet Valley where Jessica is the only one who isn't brunching by the pool. And she, she thinks of happier times. And they feel like, a, you know, when the family were just lighthearted and carefree mm. and making scrambled eggs. It feels like a million years ago. And uh, her mother calls her down to say goodbye to Stephen, but she's like, fuck him, he's team Elizabeth. And she has <laughs> no pity for Liz possibly going to juvie. Mm. No, none at all. If anything, she feels like she's getting off lightly, it seems like. <laughs> it's like she feels like she's getting a sweet deal. Mm. She's like a few months someplace in the country where everyone would probably feel sorry for her. I don't think that's what juvenile detention centres are like, mm. Jessica. <laughs> and then lady. she'll come back and everybody would act as if nothing would have happened. She'd be queen of the world again. Um... But Stephen calls up for her and she ignores him. And when he comes into her room, she's like, oh, I have a headache. And um, so then says, look, we both were very busy. And Stephen can see through her to some extent and realises she's jealous of him paying attention to Liz. And he says he's worried about her. And Jessica's all, who, me? <laughs> but, um, but she says she's fine. Yeah, she's just kind of insisting to everybody that she's fine. Uh, but like, she's not really convincing anybody because she is, she does seem slightly hysterical every time she's, uh, she's doing so. So we cut to more of the adventures of hapless Todd. This is so ridiculous at this stage. We're told Todd couldn't imagine how it had happened. He'd been spent quite <laughs> Sunday watching a game on television. The doorbell had rung, he'd gotten up to answer it. And now here he was, standing in the doorway with Jessica Wakefield in his arms. Oh, again, he's still like, how has any of this happened? He's just like a passive idiot all the way through this. And it's just like literally all he has to do is ring Liz. This is so stupid. I know. And just also say to Jessica, look, this isn't really appropriate. Like... Mm. You know, they're not even friends. No, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, yeah, of course, she turned up crying and he was like trying to get her to come into the house. But um, especially when he saw a familiar car go by, mm -hmm. but she won't let go of him. And she's like clinging onto him going, I'm so alone, Todd. Oh. So she eventually gets him in um, and he or gets her into the house. But he keeps thinking of Elizabeth staring at him the other day. As cold and distant as the moon. Ooh. <laughs> Apparently he almost went over to her, but Jessica started crying again and he couldn't get away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, apparently Jess had promised to explain to Liz when she got home that it wasn't the way it might have looked. And they'd just been oh. talking about Sam. But of course, Jess has done nothing of the sort. 
I mean, do you know her at all? She's literally <laughs> broken you up before. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing that worries him the most now is that he the car that just passed him was the lime green triumph. So uh, he feels like sobbing himself at the thought of this uh, visual um, of him and Jessica wrapped around each other is going to, you know, be the talk mm. of the town. Yeah. And it knows that'll spoil any chance he might have had of getting Elizabeth back. But when he goes back to the sitting room, Jessica looks so small and vulnerable and so like Liz. He has to stop <laughs> herself from taking her in his arms. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Todd. And basically she lies and says Stephen is ignoring her and fucking Todd gives in. Somehow his arms found their way around Jessica again. Almost as though they had a will of their own. Almost as if you have a will of your own. Seriously, Todd, get a fucking grip. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's enraging. Oh, it's so annoying. And especially as, like, in the the night to remember, he was being very sensible and mm. mature throughout. I don't know what's gone into him. No. Well, we cut to the mall where Amy is staggering under all of Lila's bags uh, on the way to the Lime Green Triumph because um, she she Amy asks what happened with Lila's mom and Lila pretends nothing is wrong, but Li- Amy knows this is all retail therapy. Yeah. This is the thing. Yeah, she she asks Lila, she's like, so you're telling me that you went out and bought three pairs of cycling shorts when you haven't been on a bike since you were six because you don't like Pierre? Like, what's what's happening here? And Lila says, uh, no, I bought the bathing suit because I don't like Pierre. <laughs> but she bought the cycling shorts because she had a fight with Grace. And she reveals all. And weirdly, Amy defends Grace. It's like, well, it must have been weird for her. It's like, yeah, that's fair enough. But nothing excuses ditching your you know, traumatised mm. daughter because your boyfriend <laughs> had a tantrum. Yeah. Um, but Lila has uh, has no mercy. And then Amy shrieks because she spots Ted and Todd and Jess in a clinch. <laughs> Again, we're overlapping storylines. <laughs> but I guess there is at least some like merit to this and, and some point to it because, uh, again, it's Amy noticing things being out of kilter and weird shit going on but uh, Lila's like oh there's no way you saw the two of them together you'd catch Jessica in a clinch with King Kong before you'd catch her with Todd it must have been Liz and Amy's like no it definitely wasn't it was definitely Jess um, but Lila's just like no absolutely not doesn't believe it for a second until uh, they suddenly realise that they've just passed Enid uh, in a car with a twin so they're like oh okay well then that must have been Jessica because there's absolutely no way <laughs> it would be Jessica and Enid in a car together so um, Lila admits yeah that yeah, it's easier to accept the idea of Jessica with Todd than the idea of Jessica with Enid at least Jessica and Todd have been seen speaking to each other now and then so they realize yes that maybe something is going on here between uh, between Jess and Todd unlikely as it may seem well, we cut Enid's car, and I guess that Liz has forgiven Enid for buying a newspaper. How dare she? And Enid's trying to be sort of normal, and Liz is glad she persuaded her to come out. And um, Liz, Enid suggests a dairy burger, but Liz just isn't ready for that um, yet. And mm. uh, they're just being gobbed at. And Enid insists, look, loads of people are on your side. Most of the kids I've talked to know it was just a horrible accident. They feel really bad for you and what you're going through. And, you know, you and Jessica are both really isolated. And Liz is like, okay, maybe this is true. Maybe we're all just sort of locking ourselves away from each other. But then they're on, she realizes they're on Todd's road. And then she sees the Jeep. I do not understand how they got that Jeep repaired and did not just sell it. I mean, that it sounded like a write-off, like it had flipped over and 
Yeah, like, and it was like nobody could be come out of that alive. Exactly, like that is a fucking write-off. That is not a jeep that you then like flip back around and repair, and it's good to go again. Like that's that's going to the fucking compactor. Like there's no way this jeep also, is fit for the road after that. Would you just let the insurance cover it? And what? Like, how is Jessica just blithely driving around in the jeep in which her boyfriend died? died? This is the thing. Like, it's such a weird, very weird. But anyway, I guess the point of it is just that it's it's a recognizable or unmistakable at least vehicle that's outside Todd. So it's just like, yeah, okay, that's what's happening here. Because yeah, she spots the Jeep outside Todd's house. Yes. Uh, and kind of realizes, oh fuck, Jessica's here now. But mm. Enid's like, look, I'm sure it's not what you're thinking. And Todd's just being a friend. You know, he wouldn't abandon Jessica mm. when she needs him most. And this is like, well, he's abandoned me. Um, <laughs> which again, fair, because he completely fucking has. Yes. And uh, yeah, Enid's like, no, no, they're probably just talking about you and trying to figure out a way to help you. But Liz is like, yeah, I can imagine what they're saying about me. Yeah. And fair enough. Like, mm. I don't think it's fair when Enid says, you know, you've been difficult to approach recently because mm-hmm. she hasn't been that difficult to approach. You know, you've managed it. Like, yeah, Todd true. could have been made as bare modicum of effort. But true. Yeah, I've no sympathy for any of them. No. Well, we cut to the country club where Bruce is whacking balls at somebody's face and imagining <laughs> that it's Jake Jacoby. And uh, his opponent gets increasingly freaked out by the violence of Bruce's serves and gives up. But Bruce doesn't care because he just keeps thinking about the box tree incident and he thinks whether Pamela was worth fighting for or not. He his own pride to think of. Then he does think, he goes into the locker room and even though the guys are just talking about, they sound so fucking boring. They're talking about gas mileage. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? what? They're such a bunch of owl lads, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I should have got 10 gallons well, for the pound now. High price of petrol, she'd be killed with that. <laughs> you got a full tank. <laughs> Just to take you to Mother of and back. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what a full tank cost me now the other day? You'll never believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the locker room talk at Sweet yeah. Country Club. It's very yeah. disappointing locker room talk, I must say. And a bit salacious. <laughs> Well, Bruce is relieved because it's the one place where he's safe from Pamela and her hypnotic blue eyes. He wishes he could stay there until he got over the mess she'd made of his heart. But he wonders, will that day ever come? And thinks at least she didn't go to to school in Queen Valley. Then the answer to the question of how long it will take him to get over it is forever. So, uh, yes, we cut to Olivia, who is trying to cheer Nicholas up for his last date. She's all like, third time's a charm. <laughs> and uh, we're told Olivia's laughter, a sound that she used to fill him with a warm, happy feeling. When? Mm. <laughs> when? <laughs> when did this happen? Oh, God. Never. Stop insulting us, Ghostwriter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's like, look, this lease will be over after uh, tonight. And uh, he says after this, he's swearing off love and they exchange feeble jokes about going on hunks being better than being home alone. Mm. Even if and Nicholas is like, oh, only if your home is a black hole. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> so he arrives at the date and he's like, OK, look, can't be any worse. I'm just than the previous two. I'm just not going to give a shit. I'm just going to wear what I wore all day. And mm-hmm. I'll, where's the address? Oh, here it is. Okay, I'll just head over there now. I don't give a fuck. And <laughs> it turns out the house is on a the place called Paloma Drive. But then he's looking at the map in the car and he cannot find it. Hmm. 
very mysterious, but it's, apparently it's near some place called Shelter Cove. So he just kind of drives there and then kind of spins around a bit and eventually finds this road. Um, so he finds her house eventually. And then like this girl, Anne, answers the door so quickly, he knew that she must have been waiting. Um, so she's like, oh, I was afraid you weren't coming. And at first he can't speak because he's so surprised because apparently Anne had looked all right the night of the hunks show. But tonight she was beautiful um, because apparently she's gone to some trouble or a lot of trouble with her appearance. And also because she's not nervous and embarrassed. Instead, she seemed so self-possessed that she was almost serene um again she reminded nicholas of an angel in a renaissance painting they just love putting girls up on these ridiculous pedestals in this book it's so ridiculous um but yeah so so i can i can say as somebody who spent a year of college studying italian renaissance art an angel of a renaissance painting usually has a hairline somewhere around the top you know halfway (laughs) back in her skull and uh (laughs) is wearing robes yeah, and, that's, uh, that's fair. Or or in a Renaissance painting, it's a chubby baby. So. Oh, maybe it's that kind of angel. Cherub. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of, he suddenly realises that she's actually put some effort in here, whereas he's turned up in like clothes he was literally doing gardening in earlier. So he starts to feel a bit uh, uncomfortably aware of the state of him. Um mm-hmm. So she's wearing like this nice dress uh, and then he kind of says, oh, you know, like I'm late because the map, like it doesn't list Paloma Drive. But apparently um, she apologizes and she's like, you know, I, I should have asked you if you had a new map. Apparently this drive has only existed for a couple of years. So um, she invites him in and says she's not quite ready. So <laughs> she, <laughs> she looked ready to him. What more could she do? Put on her wings? Like, oh, dude, please just sit down. <sighs> so uh, <laughs> and again, now Anne is like way too good for this guy uh, oh my god because she says to him look I'll be right back so she kind of leaves for a few minutes comes back having changed her outfit into something way more casual which is like a very classy move on her part because she's very just like oh classy. you know couldn't well go out in a cocktail dress when you're dressed like that could I people would think I was dating the gardener uh so like yeah it was just a very classy move from her to just kind of not say anything go change her outfit and just come back like at the same level that he's at in terms of appearance. So it's like, okay. Like, yeah, she's just way too good for him to be She true. really is. Yeah. I I am uh I'm a fan of Anne. And again, mm. she deserves better. She really does, truly. Mm. So uh yes, he thinks this evening may end in tears, but there'll be tears of joy. Oh. <laughs> So later, uh, if we cut to a few hours later, he's having an amazing time. She's brilliant. She's, you know, they get on really well and um, they're having a great meal. And he's like, look, okay, now it's your turn to choose the next activity. And he inexplicably, based on what we find out later, chooses an amusement park. So she's like, okay, sounds great. But then... Oh, just it's a comedy of errors it's like first of all he realizes he left his wallet at home and he can <laughs> see it you know he, he remembers exactly where he left it yeah. and then they sort that out or sort the payment out and they head off they get a flat tire on the way and of course he doesn't know how to change a tire but Anne does um then they go to the amusement park and he pukes all over God. Yeah, she talks him into going on a roller coaster, even though he doesn't like them and kind of says, look, he had warned her that he's he's not good on roller coasters, but she somehow talks him into it anyway. And yeah, he just gets sick everywhere. So it's a fucking disaster. Um, So he is that she had to drive him home then or something because of the 
Oh no, because the fucking yeah, because he was so sick, so he has to then call a taxi for her to get back to her house, and yeah, it's a whole mess basically. And the date sounds like a total disaster. So he's just like, oh god, if he wasn't feeling so ill, he might leave the country while he's still at the chance. Because then the following day, of course, he's back on hunks to uh, <gasps> to to, <laughs> to get the uh, the recap of all the dates, and he mm. just feels like everyone's just going to make an absolute show of him, and it's going to be terrible. I have to say, if I was did not like roller coasters and was likely to throw up all if I went on one, I would not suggest going to an amusement park. So <laughs> well, you could go to the park and just not go on the roller coaster. <laughs> True, but it seems like a key element of it that you know. I don't think you'd suggest it if you knew that was a factor. Because <laughs> clearly, his he's got a delicate digestive system. True. <laughs> But uh, anyway, we we leave Nicholas in this state and we head to SVU where um, a tired Stephen arrives home and he's just so stressed. And you just think, why should Jessica be so angry with Elizabeth? It's like, have you met her? (laughs) Like if anyone crosses her, she's like going to kill them. Very true. But uh, anyway, he arrives home to find a note from Billy. He forgot that he was meant to, you know, he had said to Billy, like, or left the message saying, look, you know, if you want to see it, turn up on this hour mm. um so the landlord showed billy around and billy says they'll um you know well if it's fine with them they'll move in on monday but if mm. you want to meet first understandably just give me a ring and yeah. see it was like oh fuck i'm sure it's grand let's just let it go yeah so we cut back to the bus margo's <laughs> in a bad mood uh, the bus smells like the toilet she was locked in as a child and she's hungry i mean you should have eaten that sandwich margo yeah, truly why did you say no to the sandwich margo but the worst thing of all is the voice is gone. No. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, poor Margot. So she's kind of uh, at a bit of a loss now because, of course, the voice has been like supernaturally guiding her on her way. Um, so, yeah, she uh, she decides to leave the bus when they get to Houston because she hears a song playing outside. A song called Money. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's what she wants. Well, there you go. <laughs> So yeah, she um she figures that uh yeah her oh yeah her her um finances are looking a bit rough mm-hmm. at the minute as well. She's kind of miscalculated things. Only has enough money left for like one can of soda and a few more candy bars. But uh, she was meant to be going to Albuquerque. Uh, so she's trying to figure out what the right thing to do. But realizes, look, this song is a sign. I'm going to get out here. So she uh, she hops off the bus, figuring that you know without the voice to tell her what to do, this must be its way of guiding her. Uh, Says the voice so she... is too tired to talk to her directly. <laughs> I'm the having voice. a little rest. There's a lot going on. <laughs> so, so yeah, she hops out of the bus, but then apparently the song sing the song changes uh, from money to a song called Town Without Pity. <gasps> More like Margo Without Pity. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, we cut back to Calico Drive and it's a normal Monday morning for everybody apart from Liz because she just cannot drag herself out of bed um, mm. she tries to tell herself things are okay but um, she just like can't face the thought of school so she's like okay look I'm not going to stay in bed all day I'm going to do my homework I'll take Prince Albert for a walk she thinks maybe this afternoon I might even try to write a poem go back to bed Liz <laughs> please don't <laughs> save us all <laughs> Well, she eventually goes downstairs and she tries to be chirpy, but then Jessica just leaves as soon as she goes in, but not before saying, Todd's taking her to the hunks taping this afternoon and we'll probably go for pizza or something afterwards. Fucking Alice is like, aren't you going too? Oh God. Yeah, she turns to look at Liz to say this, but at that stage, Liz is gone because she's already run back up the stairs, uh, probably crying. But like, again, Alice is just... So useless, like it's weird. You don't notice they haven't spoken for like weeks. <laughs> no, 
apparently not. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, we cushed his feet body high and Todd and his supposed pals, Scott Trost and Artie fucking Western. What is this trio? <laughs> Where does this come from? <laughs> so they're asking Bruce along to the hunks taping. They're going for moral support for Nicholas. And they bond over the various dating disasters. And... Uh, you know they're all they're all very amused at the the stories they've heard about Nicholas, but uh, mm. Bruce wonders did the diners at the box tree laugh at him being taunted, so he's not in the mood for you know any Schadenfreude, and uh, then he sees Pamela in Sweet Valley High, so he oh runs off in case she sees him. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so he's wondering what the hell is going on there as well. So we cut to the hug studio. Jessica arrives alone because of course she was lying to Alice and Liz about going with Todd. That's it. She just overheard that he was going. So she just decided that that she would too. But uh, when she walks in, she can hear someone calling her. And it turns out Amy is there with Caroline and Lila. But Jessica just ignores them and starts walking towards Todd with like a bewildered, lost expression on her face. So like Scott spots her and calls her over and she's like, oh, hey, guys, do you mind if I sit with you? Um and they're like, yeah, yeah, no bother. Like, sit down here. It'd be grand. Uh, so, like, she just ignores her friends and just wanders over to Todd, acting like she's come all alone and there's no one here for her. Sickening. Mm. Well, the show begins and Buddy, the MC, uh, is enjoying himself as Jackie literally snorts about Nicholas and says, telling him that uh, not only was Nicholas not the boy of her dreams, he was the drag of her dreams. <laughs> Um, so that's, you know, strike one for Nicholas. Then he approaches Susan, who just laughs in an unhinged fashion. Again, she doesn't even say it. Like, I think even Buddy is starting to look a bit concerned at this stage because all <laughs> she does is laugh uncontrollably the whole time. Like, she, he's just getting nothing out of her. Uh, so eventually he's like, OK, come on, Susie, you can't just laugh hysterically. You have to tell us what we thought. Um so she's like, was he boring? What did he do wrong? And eventually, like the audience is just watching her cracking up. And, I you know, I feel like it would get old very quickly. Oh, but, my God. Uh, she eventually, oh, seriously. Yeah. So he's like, well, OK, so what, what's the story? People want to know, like, what is it he did wrong? And she's just like, everything. Susan managed to gasp before a fresh wave of laughter took her over once more. Apparently the entire studio are in hysterics, but like she just sounds very tough going. To be it sounds extremely <laughs> awkward and uncomfortable. It and, really does. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that's the end of Susan for this book. because. It, yeah. uh, she was it was not right that she no, was taking part it was very uncomfortable the whole, the whole thing was very questionable and I didn't like it <laughs> well Anne isn't laughing along and Nicholas cares what she thinks but of course she reveals she had an amazing time you made her feel like a princess so the audience love this and Buddy asks would Anne go for another date with Nicholas and he sa- she says only if you let me do the planning this time okay and we're told that even though he'd never kissed a girl on television before it was the only <laughs> response he could think of the audience goes wild wow <laughs> and that's it for Nicholas hopefully Good. forever Jesus with any luck yet again a fucking Todd is like how did I end up in this situation I swear to God every scene with Todd for like the second half of this book from Jessica's phone call onwards is him going how has this happened when it's like <laughs> you have walked into this situation is how this has happened you idiot yeah, like it's so it's so hard to have any sympathy for him, really, at this stage, because he's just been such a dipshit about this whole Liz thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know why they're trying to make us feel bad for him, because he's just being such a dope. He really is, because like his friends all wanted to go to burrito for burritos after the mm. show. But Jessica kept whispering, Sam loved burritos. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the sadness and loneliness in her big blue eyes mean he can't go either. So he gives her a lift home. They end up on the fucking beach again. Oh, she's God. like, oh, I'm ruining all your fun. And uh, he just thinks how like Liz, lo- she looks and she thinks, she says, I just feel so lonely. And he's like, yeah, me too. Thinks of Liz again. And then when she moves into his arms, he doesn't resist. Oh my God. Yeah. So he kisses her uh, or at least they kiss whoever initiates it. I'm not even sure. But also like Jessica has like put on a jumper that Liz usually wears. So it's like that's enough to like (laughs) trick Todd because he's such a fucking dummy in this book. He's like, oh, this is so confusing. (laughs) So even as he's kissing her, it's like he's, you know, believing it's Elizabeth, which is just fucking creepy, dude. Come Uh, on. It's gross. I mean, it's but I mean, Jessica is fucking with you so it's like it's mm. hard to feel very sorry for in this context yeah um so yes he thinks uh she thinks he thinks when she stepped into his arms he could almost believe it was elizabeth when he, she put her arms around him he felt elizabeth's touch it was her heart she heard beating her breath on his cheek but it was jessica's lips that met his own <laughs> fuck you todd jesus christ seriously dude <laughs> Well, we cut to Fowler Crest where Lila arrives and realises her dad is home already and she hears voices from the living room and it's uh, the other voice. It's her dad and somebody whose voice is hard to distinguish. Then she realises it's Grace, but she doesn't sound as confident and strong as she did earlier when she was waffling on about her Parisian exploits. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah, because now it sounds like she's drowning, apparently. So she's uh, she can hear, Lila can hear her dad saying, it's all right, you're making too much out of nothing. And he kind of is trying to reassure her, but she can't make out what Grace is saying really at any stage. Um, so eventually George is like, right, I'm going to get you a strong cup of coffee. So like he's about to come out the door. So Lila has to like hide behind a table so she's not seen. Um, so uh, she peeks into the living room before she makes a break for the stairs to see uh, Grace slumped on the sofa with her face buried in her hands, her body shaking with sobs. So she kind of feels a stab of sympathy for her mother, uh, so much so that she almost goes rushing over to her. But then, you know, because it hadn't occurred to her uh, before that she wasn't the only one who might be in pain. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. But still, Grace has handled everything absolutely fucking horrendously up to this point. And she's the adult. And you mm-hmm. with the child. Yep. Well, we cut back to SVU where Stephen rushes home to meet Billy, who is supposedly moving in today. And he's so fucking judgmental. So first he sees somebody bringing in a trunk. We're told it's an incredibly large young man wearing a ponytail and a baseball cap. And Stephen is like, I'm, but he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. So what if he looks like a sumo wrestler? I'm sure he has a great personality. Wow. So good of you, Stephen. Fucking hell. Mm. But this guy says, no, Billy's upstairs. So Stephen keeps going. And then he meets a cowboy. Oh my God. The rootinous tootinous cowboy you ever did see. <laughs> this is very exciting. A uh, little cameo from this guy. Because um, again, Stephen sees this guy and he's like, what the fuck is this? So he kind of blinks and he's like, they didn't have any cowboys in this building. He would have noticed. The cowboy <laughs> nodded at him and Stephen's like, Billy? Billy Winkler? The cowboy grinned. I'm Storm, he said. <laughs> Billy's upstairs. <laughs> so Stephen's like, right, okay. So it's like this weird little sketch comedy nearly scene oh. where Stephen's trying to find Billy. So he runs up to the apartment to find a young woman standing in the living room holding a lamp. Uh, she turns around and he's like, well, at least his girlfriend's beautiful. How bad can he be with a girl like this? Because, you know, he's not superficial. Um, so the girl is like, oh, you must be Stephen. So he's, uh, he says, it wasn't easy to speak when someone that exquisite was smiling at him with such blindingly white teeth. So all I can picture is fucking Ross, Ross when he gets his teeth white. Just... <laughs> Me 
<laughs> just like a flashlight in his gob. Oh, God. So he's like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm Stephen. She extended the hand that wasn't holding the lamp. Hi, I'm Billy. Oh, who could <laughs> have seen that coming? Truly, because I mean, all the way through, Billy has been spelled B-I-L-L-I-E, which is so clearly that's a girl's name when it's spelled with an I-E at the end, I would have thought. But anyway, yes. we're meant to be surprised I, that Billy's a chick, basically. <laughs> with blindingly white teeth. Also, isn't he the second person? I mean, apart from his Ross, the Ross from Friends moment, wasn't he, like, wasn't Nicholas also struck speechless by somebody's beauty earlier on? Oh, maybe. Was it Anne? Was Anne not so Oh, beautiful? yes, sorry. Yes, because she was so beautiful uh, when she answered the door for the date that he was almost struck dumb by the sight of her. Mm. I don't think I've ever been struck down by somebody's hotness. I don't feel I've lived a, an unfulfilled life. <laughs> well, we uh, we cut to Houston train station where the voice is reassuring Margot. Just be patient. I wouldn't lead you astray. I'm looking out for you. Ooh. Um, <laughs> But she's been sitting on a bench in Houston train station for 16 hours. Oh, Margot. Yeah, so she's starting to to wonder what the hell is going on here because she's starving with the hunger uh, oh. and sees like a little kid with a hot dog as to stop herself from like snatching it out of his hands because uh, she can't bring attention to herself. Not now. So uh, she's scanning the waiting room looking for another sign because this is... This is what's going to get her out of this predicament. So she decides she just has to be patient. She's been good at waiting. Mm. She's been waiting her whole life, waiting to <gasps> go home. <gasps> but then she hears an announcement about um, a train. Oh, by the way, the bus also said, that, or the, the voice had also said, never mind buses, buses too slow. Mm. So uh, <laughs> hence she's switching to the rails. And um, she hears an announcement about a train arriving from LA and mm. all the people get off it and start coming through the station. And the voice purrs, you see, Marlo, <laughs> I was looking after you. Look what I'm sending you now. Trust in me. <laughs> So an old lady with a red straw hat and a chiffon scarf, quite a garish outfit, gets off with loads of baggage. And Margot hates old ladies, but this one sits next to her. And then she sees a newspaper sticking out of the old lady's bag. And she wonders, has the voice tricked her? Yes, because she says the old woman has a picture of Margot. There's a picture of Margot on the front of her newspaper. Margot was smiling. So Margot's freaked by this and like lunges for the paper and the old lady kind of snatches it back and she's like, you can't have that. It's for my daughter. <laughs> Apparently she promised she'd bring her a copy of the hometown paper. You know what a treat that sort of thing is. And Margot's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So the old woman has to go to the Jacks and she's like, oh, will you mind my things while I go to the restroom? Um, you can look at my paper while I'm gone. <laughs> Very kind of you. So um, Margot's like, okay, thank you. And again, the voice kind of kicks in. <laughs> oh my God, do you know what? This uh, <laughs> bit from the voice nearly sounds like our ad for the. <laughs> oh my god! Just, just imagine the ad being like this, listeners. Okay, trust me, <laughs> Look at that picture. <laughs> <laughs> this is word for word. It's a yes. word. Oh my god! <laughs> I can't believe you just noticed <laughs> <laughs> Susan. Holy shit. Okay. No, I can do it. I'm not Susan. Okay. I can do it. No, I believe in you. <laughs> so she's in a 
answers. Oh my god, I'm being punished for being so dismissive of her and her hysterical laughter. This is what we get. <laughs> okay. Do you have Blondair? Do you live in California? Have you been indicted for an involuntary manslaughter? <laughs> Changing her ad to this immediately. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. That's gonna be the ad for the oh my oh shit. That should oh, be the ad for the finale. Oh. <laughs> but also I do enjoy that the voice starts to sound like an insurance lawyer or something. <laughs> you could be. <laughs> you could claim thousands in insurance. <laughs> well, Margot realises it's not her. The voice was right. It was another girl. A girl so used to smiling that she had a dimple in her left cheek. A girl who lived in California. In Sweet Valley, California. Uh-oh. Sweet Valley. That sounded ju- like just the sort of place Margot's family would live. Sweet Valley. <gasps> it was just the sort of place she belonged. Oh my God. So of course, up until now, I guess, having, like if you were coming to the book new without any like prior knowledge, it's just like, who is this mad bitch Margot running around <laughs> murdering people? But the whole thing with Margot is that she's basically a dark haired Wakefield twin. She is another, uh-huh. one more doppelganger for the mix, you guys. Yes. <laughs> She's got a deadly scheme. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so she realises that uh, she needs money to get to Sweet Valley. She needs food and she needed to sleep somewhere other than this bench. So she realises most people buy round trip tickets. The voice. Oh, this is the voice. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Most people buy round trip tickets. Most older women who visit their daughters bring plenty of cash. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, she takes action. She sure does. Now, I thought she was just going to, like, rummage through the ladies' luggage uh-huh. and bail the fuck out. But you know what? You just... <laughs> Margot goes full drama every time. What so more she... for the road, Margot? What go. more what? for the road? Why not? She puts the paper back on top of the bags, walks slowly toward the restroom, <laughs> thinking about the scarf around the old lady's neck. <laughs> also thinking about the white straw purse she had clutched under her arm. Uh, apparently the old lady had told her that uh, if her daughter comes, tell her I won't be long. Tell her I'll be right out. Margot smiled as she opened the restroom door. Poor old lady, you're going to be longer than you thought. Margot's feet echoed across the tiles. She stooped down to look under the stalls. There was only one pair of feet. Old lady's feet. (laughs) Much, much longer, Margot said to herself as the door swung open and she slammed the old woman back against the wall. Much, much longer than you thought. with one more murder that is the end oh my god like 10 out of 10 for Margot there I absolutely love that scene that maniac that made up for the genuine unpleasantness of earlier scenes honestly like just fantastic killing adults (laughs) in toilets Margot there you go yeah let's just keep it keep it over over to a certain age and we're fine (laughs) we're still rooting for you when you're killing adults well you can't kill Jessica soon enough frankly also true yeah (laughs) and like you can give Todd a few digs as well oh god he could really use a few honestly Well, after all that, <laughs> I know you've got stats and evidence. Oh my goodness. Okay. 
we are going to be here all night. <laughs> so uh, it was a pretty a pretty good showing for the Wakefield okay. uh, blondness and blue green eyes because they got seven mentions apiece. <gasps> wow, that's fucking good. Wow. Yeah. Seven each, seven blondness mentions, seven blue green eyes mentions. I can't remember the last time we got anywhere near that many. It's a lot. And for them to be as balanced as that as well, because sometimes you might just get one mention of the eyes and like yes. four of the blondness. But there we go. Yeah, uh, right. so that was That's a lot. Uh, Pamela's blue eyes got four yeah. mentions, which again is quite a lot for anybody. But, uh, for a randomer, it's I an know. awful lot. It's mad. People blush five times, mm, which okay. was quite a good bit. There were three snake references, but only only two in relation to Margot, though. But I still counted the third. Oh, which um, was the third? Uh, that was to do with, I think, Lila saying that like Jess and Todd were about as compatible as a boa constrictor and a mouse. Something like that. Oh, OK. Yes. Um, Fair enough. That's, that does count as a snake you know, reference. And, you know, if it applies to Jessica, yeah, that kind of applies to Margot, too, because they're they are, <laughs> Kindred spirits. Um, and then people cry 22 times. Whoa. There's a lot of crying in this one. That has to be a record, does it? I feel like it must be. And like only two of those instances are when people are actually running away crying. But uh, oh, still okay. an awful lot of crying. <laughs> a lot like, of crying. A lot. Uh, then outfits. My <gasps> goodness. Okay. We had our working girl back in uh, back in the jail at the very start of this book 12 hours ago. Uh, so the uh, yes, this younger girl was uh, only yeah not much older than Elizabeth, but she was wearing a lot of makeup uh, and uh, she was dressed in a short, tight satin skirt, a skimpy silver halter top and glittering silvery stockings. I like the sound of this. Me too. Although I do like that she's wearing a satin skirt because it's like she's not good enough for the Sweet Valley silk. Oh (laughs) shit, yes. (laughs) Burn on her. Um, <laughs> then we've got Lila rummaging through her wardrobe trying to find an outfit for her meeting with Grace so at one point she considers a soft cotton dress and a delicate shade of lilac uh, she also considers a pair of black silk pants because of course um, uh-huh. there's a cream coloured linen suit in the mix at one point as well <laughs> Uh, and then there's I know right (laughs) she's a fucking man from Del Monte over here (laughs) Um, oh yes and a white silk dress almost makes the cut too she eventually goes for something purple but we don't know what it is so maybe it's that lilac dress from the start oh yeah Uh, Nicholas Morrow when he's admiring himself on his way to work uh, is wearing a maroon silk tie with a blue linen suit Sorry, so this what? Is, I mean, look, this is what he takes as a, an elegant but understated and flamboyant and original. Like, just stop it. <sighs> <laughs> All of it, please stop. Um, For the love of God. Truly. Then back to, oh yes, in the hunk studio. So we had Jackie's crazy all black outfit, that mad bitch. Uh, <laughs> Susan's outfit for that first uh, sighting of her was a floral dress and pink sandals. Mm. But uh, he was initially charmed somewhat by that until she opened her mouth. Mm, um, fair. Oh, actually, Lila's dress that she meets her mom in actually is. It's a purple sheath dress. Mm, so very elegant. Different and furry, isn't it? With her matching nails. So she had matching purple dagger nails to go Ooh, with yeah. that. <laughs> so she sounded like a woman meaning business. Um, <laughs> Nicholas then on his date with Jackie. Oh yeah, when he's wearing green slacks and a blue t-shirt to the biker bar. So oh, yeah. wow. it's a look. 
Good lord. Um, then Susan, when she's going on her very ill-advised date, uh, she's wearing, oh yes, the aforementioned flip-flops, uh, old jeans and a sweatshirt that said, laugh and the world laughs with you. I guess she's on brand. She's a woman with a live, laugh, love decal on her Oh wall, my god. For yes. sure. Uh, when he comes to Anne's house for their date, uh, at first she's wearing a stunning white sheath. I tell you, they're mad for the sheath dresses. They in this are. Um, but she then changes into, they just kind of say like slacks and a casual top. So we don't get much more details about uh, what she's got on there. Mm. And then, oh, the cowboy storm. My favorite <gasps> oh, cameo. With that tootin'. So he is the rootinest tootinest. So yeah, he's coming down the stairs. He's wearing jeans, a white shirt with silver tips on the collar and a string tie. So I presume it's like a bolo tie. Uh, wow. He was, oh, that's not all. He was wearing a black cowboy hat with a silver and turquoise band around it. The only thing missing was his horse and his gun. But noticing <laughs> the scar running down one side oh, of the cowboy's wow. face, Stephen wasn't so sure about the gun. <laughs> So I would love to see Storm come back, but I fear that might be all we get from this sudden cowboy appearance, but unfortunately. Apparently a close enough friend of Billy that he'll help her move. And he's helping her move. So you know what? You never know. Maybe he's going to turn up again. And I really hope he does. But I'm also not put, getting my hopes up either. Mm, uh, <laughs> oh, Storm, maybe just a brief a guest appearance. Just a brief little delight for the end of the book there. Yeah. Well, um, listeners, um, what did you think of the arrest? We, <laughs> I mean, are you as delirious and hysterical as we and indeed Susan are? You know where to find us. We are on Twitter at SVH Podcast. Oh, you can send us an email at svhpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we are on Instagram at svhpodcast, where you had a lot to say. And many of you were very excited about Margot. I liked uh, Cressid de Burton said, whenever Mr. B asks what I'm cackling about, it's always this podcast. But today he overheard Margot's quite stellar inner voice and simply said, that's a nice noise. Right, <laughs> <laughs> fashion. <laughs> A lot of fans of uh, of your your take on Margot's inner voice, which yes, enjoyed that too. Uh, <laughs> I, well, thank you, everybody. I do my best to channel that uh, that uh, the the greatest character we have known in Sweet Valley. Um, <laughs> Tinfoil Tango said, "Every time I hear her outside looking in now, all I can see is Margot peering longingly in through the window with yet another dysfunctional Wakefield family dinner." <laughs> Fantastic. I did enjoy uh, Silent Spaces saying, uh, I'm picturing Margot's raspy inner voice being like an evil version of the dumbass inner goddess from Fifty Shades. Margot's inner goddess is Medusa. <laughs> there is all those snakes. And then I think one of my favourite comments was from Joanna Monaghan, author, who said, hold up. Margot is real? I'd always assumed Margot was another one of Jessica's alter egos and all the schemes and monologues were leading up to her inevitable psychotic break. I can't decide if I'm relieved or disappointed. <laughs> I love that comment so much because I I don't know, I suppose I just can't imagine coming at this with no prior knowledge of Margot and like what, what you'd expect or like... What? What like I just because it's such a ridiculous storyline, but I'm just loving people's uh, expectations and <laughs> thoughts on it. Kind of coming into it cold. It's just oh. so funny, and we just love hearing your reactions to it. 
When news from Nihon said, I'm not the same after this episode. None of us will ever be the same. In brackets, Margot voice. No, you won't be. Fire! <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, others were keen to educate us on the origins of hugs. Oh my God. Yes. The like very common consensus here is that hunks is <laughs> an absolute reference to a show called Studs. <laughs> <gasps> studs. I had no idea stu- of Studs. Never I don't knew. think I'd ever heard of it. It no, definitely never. did not cross the Atlantic. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, many of you were clearly viewers of Studs and it does seem to be the sort of thing that was watched ironically by college students. So that does make sense. Uh, Lizzie49 made a very good point. Livia, like Olivia is a fun free spirit. Why would she be besties with this preppy Dennis Reynolds? I think he just wants free art for the SS implication. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that actually really does make sense. I mean... Yes as much as anything else um but thank you so much everybody for getting in touch with us because we always love hearing from you and uh we did get a few people also um talking about cider now um there was you know pointing out the that in america basically the norm for cider is uh is non-alcoholic though we did get um we did get a mail from uh, from Kristen Hansen who defended apple, apple cider and <laughs> said that in the US, apple juice is clear, shelf-stable and sugary sweet. Now, that is not the case here. Like, apple juice here is quite tart. Yeah, like, I did enjoy this very impassioned defence of cider, mm. I must say. <laughs> but yeah, there was a couple of people got onto us about it. So yeah, I suppose here, like, this apple juice, that'd be the kind of, like, crappy from concentrate apple juice that you'd get yeah in a supermarket but you can also just get apple juice that's like a proper like and very easily like apple juice, apple juice. <laughs> yeah where it's actually like squished apples and it's cloudy and it's lovely yeah. so I guess and that seems to be cider in America mm. whereas here yeah. that is just apple, apple juice. just like a good apple juice yeah, <laughs> yeah. but like yeah. you could get it in Tesco you know it's, yeah. it's not yeah, like it's, something you'd have to get in a gourmet food no store no it's widely available um mm. But yeah, and then sparkling cider. Sorry, somebody actually sent us really helpful pictures and I just can't find Ooh, it. Yes. <laughs> that was on Twitter, but I it think. Was, it was very interesting, actually, in uh, in Christ, Kristen's mail. She mm. pointed out that Prohibition did a number on cider production in the US, which is very interesting. And so yeah. Really yeah, so there's all these like proper like strains of apples that all just kind of went by the wayside because... Um, because of prohibition so like that yeah. the kind of cider production is kind of still recovering from that even all this time later um so yeah but apparently cider makers are bringing back these um apple varieties uh because yeah apparently yeah until the last 10 to 15 years fresh unfermented apple cider was pretty much the only option i love mm. hard cider but could not stand by and let you slander my <laughs> beloved fall treat so fair enough um but yeah like cider here is alcoholic yeah by default yeah (laughs) Yeah, by default exactly but in your honor kirsten tomorrow are they are my local uh green grocers do do a very nice apple juice um Mm. like a proper apple juice so i will get some tomorrow and feel very autumnal uh, because uh it does i mean it makes more sense that that's what the sweet valians are drinking than Mm, true bottle scrumpy (laughs) Well, <laughs> three litre bottle of fucking devil's bit. <laughs> Unlikely. Um, but, 
but yeah, because then of course sparkling cider is is more like Cydona, I think here. So yes, I think somebody mm. described that as like champagne for teenagers, basically, or for mm-hmm. kids that it's yeah. like, yeah, sparkling apple juice is sparkling cider. See, but yeah. Every day's a school day with this it's podcast. Very confusing, lads. I know. Well, a confusing <laughs> school day, but uh, <laughs> yeah. if you would like even more confusing school days, listeners, um, you will have to wait two weeks to find out what happens in the next Sweet Valley book. Um and uh, sadly, we can't read out anymore. Which no. I, I'm it's actually all change. Quite, <laughs> I, I actually do miss having the the sort of little blurb because mm. I feel like they're not really, you know, giving us enough these days mm. to finish out on. Yeah, it's not enough yeah. of a of a flourish at the end. It feels like. Yes, because it it used to be like a little you know way to 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 lead up to tee up the next mm. episode, but um. The next episode is The Verdict. Uh-huh. So, uh, I mean, or is it? Is it really? <laughs> is it four weeks after The Verdict? Who even knows? <laughs> like, why don't they call it The Trial? Or maybe I The know. Trial won't even be in it. Look, we're going to find out, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Well, in the meantime, we will be heading to the Pi Beta Alpha Clubhouse, where uh, you might think that we have said goodbye to Sam forever. But over in the clubhouse, he's still with us. He's alive and kicking and not very like buxom at all. But you look, this is, these are the things that happen in TV show land. Um, so yeah, we're we're going to have another Sam episode, it seems like next week. Mm. It's called Win into. Sam, Lose Sam. Oh, they love a pun in their episode titles. They do. And we are having huge amounts of fun discussing them over in the clubhouse uh, with uh, with lots of you. But everybody is welcome. If you just join Headstuff Plus. Yeah, if you head on over to headstuffpodcast.com, you can sign up for as little as five euro a month to support the show. Uh, so if you do that, you can decide to like spread your money around and support up to three podcasts if you've got a few favourites. We don't mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, once you sign up, uh, you get access to the bonus content for all the shows on the network. And of course, you'll get your your twice month no what is it yeah. bi-weekly no that's twice a week fortnightly <laughs> fortnightly that's the one wow <laughs> it's so late and I'm so tired so nearly <laughs> look at o'clock listeners like we've and we've had to stop recording like three times because something yeah. went wrong Margot was in here chopping up wires or something I don't know what the hell is going on but uh, yeah so (laughs) you can get uh, you get a weekly dose of Sweet Valley uh, if you sign up to our Pi Beta Alpha nonsense uh, because obviously we're recapping the TV series in the kind of off weeks between regular Double Love episodes so that way you get a, a weekly fix you will so Pi Beta Alpha sisters we will see you in the clubhouse next week for Win Sam, lose Sam. And uh, we will see all of you in the main feed in two weeks' time when we find out Elizabeth's fate when she hears... Oh, my God. ...the verdict. (gasps) See you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) Oh, no, she's back. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.